Hello and welcome to episode 129 of the Ram Nintendo Podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm Angel. And this episode is our Comic-Con episode. And it's uh, a little later than usual because we had to get back from Comic-Con and I'd say recover from Comic-Con, but I'm still not recovered from Comic-Con. I have still not caught up on sleep. But anyway, we're calling this episode Comic-Con Resurgence as, um, well, first of all, it's Comic-Con's return, but also the big three things for Nintendo people that happened at Comic-Con were all like this resurgence of classic things. So you got Pokemon, it was all over the place with Pokemon Go, some Sun and Moon news going into Comic-Con, a Detective Pikachu movie, you got the NES Classic Edition making its world debut at Comic-Con, you've got Sonic having multiple announcements at Comic-Con, and we are going to cover all of it. For Sonic, we actually have Sonic Boom, Fire and Ice, Hands-On Impressions, that's not coming out till later this year, but we already played it. Um, so yeah, we have all that coming up along with Jason's sales corner at the end where I'll be taking a look at June sales numbers. So use the timestamps at uh, roundtown.com on the blog post for this episode if there's something particular you want to hear. Otherwise, join us for the wonderful journey that is Comic-Con 2016. And um, yeah, I feel like our Comic-Con experience has kind of been changing over the years almost. Like you – so? Because I don't well, you it. Well, you camped out for the first time. So what – because – okay. So for people who don't know much – Very about, circumstantial. But you still did it. Yeah. Yeah, but for, for people that don't know much about Comic-Con, the cool thing about Comic-Con is that uh, it's essentially like this. No matter what you're into, if you go to Comic-Con, everyone like gets it. Like we're – I'm into like the Nintendo stuff. I was into Mr. Robot, did stuff with the cast there. That was cool. Super into Conan. He had a bunch of stuff. Like, so for me, I was like, oh, I really love this thing. And then you went, for example, and you got a ton of different merchandise for things. You like a bunch of comic books and that sort of thing. And we're like, oh, cool, you like this thing. And, like, no matter what your interest is, like, everyone communally is like, oh, this is our spot where we all are, like, overly passionate about one or two things. We can all kind of connect to that level. It's like this big communal party. It's, it's really cool. Like, it's hard to put into words. And there's 200,000 people, but it's just, like, this giant, like, nerdy, I want to say love fest. But Yeah, it's just the the... The one time you can really say that there's something for everybody. Mm-hmm. Like, there's literally something for everybody. Yeah, like, our group, it used to just be you, me, and uh, your brother, and one of our friends, and now there's seven of us that go over here, and it just keeps growing. Like, it's really cool how ConCon does this, but but ConCon's interesting now because, um, looking beyond just video games, around the time of Twilight, like, it blew up in, like, ter- in terms of Hollywood and the involvement of Hollywood, so ConCon used to be comic books, that became about TV and comic books, that kind of became about movies. And then when Twilight blew up, there's this influx of every major studio was there doing all these crazy things. Uh, but then they realized that they're putting a lot of marketing money down there and it doesn't always pay off. Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Huge positive buzz at Con bombed at the box office. That's happened multiple times with multiple movies. So I feel like this year was almost like a turning point where it's moving away from movie studios. Like, um, obviously, obviously um, Marvel was there. Warner Brothers was there, but um, there was no Lionsgate. There was no, there was no uh, who else? Paramount had the Star Trek premiere, but they didn't have a booth or a panel. Like there wasn't much else in terms of movies, which was weird because in past years every single studio had something, and this year was a little more subdued. I mean, it felt like the movies were still there, but then again, like you said, like we're all kind of paying attention to different things. So as far as I'm concerned, like everything kind of felt the same. Right. But, I mean, I guess, I don't know, the only thing that kind of stood out to me was like, oh, wait, South Park and Pokemon Go are in Hall H. Isn't Hall H supposed to be, like, the, the most movies. important one? So yeah. I guess it's not as important anymore. The South Park thing was really cool, by the way. So that was kind of like, I mean, that that 
lines up with what you said. But yeah, like you said, to, yeah. It just seems to be shifting from movies to TV, but then again, TV is becoming more like movies. So is that really that? Like, Mr. Robot was everywhere. Game of Thrones was everywhere. Walking Dead, Fear the Walking Dead. So is it really... Like, maybe it's not that big of a deal now that TV's up to the quality of movies. But, but yeah, so that, that's what was going on, like, outside of comic... Like, outside the Nintendo world of Comic-Con. Within Nintendo's little bubble, they had... Every year, they take over a hotel... Um, at the or a ballroom, not a whole hotel. They take over a ballroom at a hotel. But this year they did it differently. Normally they bring some of their E3 stuff. Normally they go and they're just kind of like, hey, here's our upcoming wares. This year they're like, hey, here's everything you've been playing for the past two years and like two new games. So for us that kind of sucked because like I, you know, we went to the Play Nintendo tour. There's coverage of it on Roundtown.com, and we saw the cool booth they have like. All these little setups, like you go and you like, there's a giant Pokeball you could pose with, there's a Kirby you could pose with, you could play in a Donkey Kong barrel, you could play on a stack of Mario coins, like double as a chair. There's a Yokai watch the size of a medium-sized child. Like, they have, like, cool stuff, but we already saw it, and it's all for games that sometimes date back to two years ago. So, like, for us hardcore fans, I feel like Nintendo's kind of, I wouldn't say a letdown this year, but it was definitely a step backwards for us a, personally. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, for us it was definitely a letdown. I would consider it a letdown. I mean, they do but, have some unannounced stuff, or some unreleased stuff there. I would still consider it a letdown. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, as a fan, like, mm-hmm. as us in specific, because, I mean, like, sure, like, Style Savvy, Fashion Forward, or whatever it's called, I mean, like, sure, that's new, but, I mean, we personally don't really care about it. I might as well not have been there. We were going to play it, but they, I was going to play it and talk about it on this very episode, and then I walk over to the booth, and so, like I said, everything's steam. Stonk has barrels, Mario has coins. St- Style Savvy had little vanities for six-year-olds, like, with mirrors, and I'm like... Oh god, I don't want to be that like creep. Yeah, all the, so I just, yeah. I just did not play. Well, it. the thing is, like this year, it normally they kind of go for like for all ages. This year, you could tell it was specifically geared towards little kids. It was literally called like, the family gaming lounge. Like those um little vanities that Jason was talking about, like they were literally sized for kids. So if when Jason you, and I were sitting, if we were to sit down on it, our knees would be like sticking up. When you played Sonic, <laughs> so I I looked over. You went to the Sonic uh, Boom Fire and Ice section. You had to, like, get down on your knees to play it. Like, you had to crouch. I didn't have to crouch, but, I mean... The you were down on the ground. Like, the no, demo... I, I, the I demo you, standing up, but just at the uh, 3DS that... the 3DS, low. The 3DS was pretty much at um child waist height, so I had to, like, bend down to grab it, but after that, I could just pull up on the cord. Right, right. But, I mean, like, yeah, they were still, like... They were at child height, so... Yeah. Yeah, it's almost like Nintendo was like, wait, what are you guys doing here? You're adults. Why are you here? But to their credit, they did do some cool stuff. Um, so like They like, did one cool thing. They had a couple of cool things. They had, uh, I think the fact that they actually had like an MC hosting tournaments all day was kind of cool. Granted, as a hype man, he was a little intense. But no, it was it, it was cool. And like there's a huge crowd around him when we were there. Like all these, and not just kids, like teens too. And I wouldn't say anyone our age, but like there's a big crowd. And then they also did the the thirty minute uh, play Nintendo challenge, which you tried to do. Well, no, because the line was always capped. So That's I what I mean. You, you tried, like you whoops, I hit the table. I meant you tried, like you went and tried to do. I tried to. Get I didn't mine. mean you, I didn't mean you <laughs> failed at it. You'd win, but but yeah. So what they had you do is you played Splatoon. You played Mario Kart. You played Pokemon, and if you played all three and won across all of them uh, in a thirty minute period you would get this shirt well that was just like that but essentially you play you play with eight people at once you play splatoon the four you know how it's four against four and the winning team then gets to play mario kart against themselves so that's four against four i mean don't no, yeah that's a free-for-all of four right and then first and second place just plays Pokemon against each other and the winner gets the shirt 
And the loser, I don't know what they get. Cries. Yeah. They get tears. Salty tears. But, uh, yeah, and I mean, they did that. They had a they had a streaming Smash Bros. tournament for 12 and under, which you, you at at the time, like, oh, that's dumb. You, you Like, you wanted to play a Smash tournament. You actually did. Like, well, yeah, I just you, on my own. <laughs> you, you went and entered a Smash tournament that won you an Xbox game, which is the... Microsoft sponsored it, right? Like, it was at the Microsoft store. That was that was weird. We couldn't even get Steam points. Yeah, to only get an Xbox game. Yeah, that's kind of lame. But but my point I was going to make is, so they had a kids one, and what was kind of cool about that is, like, all the Nintendo people on Twitter that I follow, like, Bill Trennan and all them, were talking about, like, their show, like, they're almost, like, indoctrinating kids in the idea of, like, competitive Smash or competitive uh, gaming so they could go back home to wherever they are and start up their own little leagues with their friends and, like, get really into it. And they're essentially making the next generation of Smash pro players, which was actually kind of cool if you think about it that way. And then on the show floor, Nintendo had a booth separate from the gaming lounge where they were just doing Splatoon all the time. It was a Splatoon booth, which on the one hand is like, oh, cool, they're still marketing Splatoon a year later. You could actually play the Splatfest, the final Splatfest fest at the booth, and if and you get these awesome little, like, Hallie and Marie pins, depending on which team you fight. And then that actually feeded directly into the real ma- the real Splatfest. Like, it was online, and it would affect the outcome. But it was weird they put so much marketing muscle behind a game that they basically killed their specialty online support for. Because it was the final Splatfest. Now, yes, you can play online, but it's just, like, the mundane stuff. The, like, communal things are over, and yet they're still promoting the games. So that was kind of a weird disconnect to me, at or Maybe least. it was just their way of going, like, oh, we're sorry that we made the final Splatfest during Comic-Con, so here... Yeah. You can't even go to your account, so it's not like you personally played it, but... But you get to at least affect the outcome. I like to think... I think I tweeted something like this, but I like to think that, like, some random dude just as Batman is the one that single-handedly made it for Team Marie to win. It was Team Marie that won, right? I feel like that one was going to win, regardless. Yeah. Well, I got to play both sides, and I guess I won on both, because I got both the pins, but... You get the pins even if you lose, just for the record. Oh, no, no, yeah. I'm mean, like Both different ones. Because you get the Marie pin if you play on the Marie side, if you yeah. get the Cali one. And if you go play on the other side of the booth, which is just random multiplayer, you get a Splatoon logo pin. Mm. So there's some, there's actually some cool swag. But, uh, yeah, so that was kind of Nintendo's thing. So we don't... We've played Metroid Prime Federation Force, which was there back at WonderCon. So if you want to hear what we think of that demo, go listen to that episode from April. We've played everything else there because it's already out, with the exception of um, Yokai Watch 2, which we don't know enough about to feel comfortable talking about. And style savvy because we didn't want to feel like um, pedophiles. So so that leaves Sonic Boom, which we'll talk about later in the show. But I think more than any of the stuff Nintendo brought with it to Comic-Con, the thing that really was the game of the show, bar none, was Pokemon Go. Like, it was everywhere. There were lures. Like, every... there. First of all, there's a ton of Pokestops in San Diego because San Diego is actually where they launched Ingress four years ago, which is the database the Pokestops are based on. So, like, everywhere is Pokestops. And they constantly had lures all day, all night. They didn't matter what time. You'd be walking down, there'd just be cherry blossoms flying every which way. Um, there were gym, Like, every gym, if you look at... If you, if you just watched a gym for about 45 seconds, it was likely to switch teams, like, constantly. Everyone was fighting over there at all times. Like, every few minutes, basically, you see people playing it everywhere. People are talking about it on the bus. There are like there was a ma- there's a bit of an exodus from our hotel. So the first night we're there, a magmar was discovered nearby. We go walk to get the magmar, and there are like other groups of people also leaving our hotel to go to this other hotel to get the magmar, which is kind of funny. And we ended up chatting with someone for a while. But yeah, it's just like it was everywhere, and, and it was very disappointing to then come back home and see a barren wasteland with no Pokestops and no lures and no crazy Pokemon because it's like 
Yeah, it, I got spoiled by Comic-Con. But I think what's the most crazy about Pokemon Go is not even so much what was at Comic-Con, for me at least, but, like, it's this phenomenon that's literally, like, we, let me back up, we talked about Pokemon Go, what, like, two days after it came out in our last episode, like, it just worked out that way, that we got to cover it right up front, and then in the time since, this thing has literally changed people's behavior, it is crazy how big this got, like, I'm sure, like, the way our economy, like, the way the world works has actually kind of shifted. Like, local stores are seeing a boon in sales because people are showing up and buying things when they drop lures nearby or they're hanging out there. I guarantee cell phone battery accessories and sunscreen and the like has probably gone up in sales because all these people that don't normally go out are going out in the tens of thousands to meets, to events, to Central Park, to Comic-Con, which granted they go anyway, but they're outside more walking around getting Pokemon, like... Those price sales increases. In theory, who knows? This one's a little bit of a stretch, I admit. But you got it, it's kind of true. In theory, all this extra exercise these people are getting, they're finally leaving their homes. Who knows down the road what sort of implications that has on, like, healthcare industry? Because fact of the matter is, there are estimates that 75 million people around the world have downloaded Pokemon Go. 75 million people around the world are walking around more than they would normally. That has got to have some sort of effect on, like, healthcare, if you think about it. Like, it's crazy. Car crashes are up. Probably because people, everyone's playing it while driving, which you should not do. Like car accidents in general. Yeah, like every this game has literally changed the not in a dramatic way, but it's literally changed the world to some extent. Like it's crazy. Like people have completely changed their behavior for this game. Like it's weird, and like if you or not weird in another way, it's just weird that like a game can have this impact. You know. Like, even if you're not the most obsessed, you probably, if you're listening to our podcast, I'm pretty sure at some point you went on a walk that you weren't going to go on to go catch a Pokemon somewhere. Or you went to go, go to a park they haven't been to in years because you wanted to go get a Pokemon or whatever. Like, it's crazy that a game can actually make people do so, so much differently. Like, I, I don't know. And, and it gets crazier from there because, like, it's taken over the presidential election. Granted, this happened shortly after our last episode, but both Donald Trump's campaign and Hillary Clinton's campaign have made Pokemon Go references and talked about it. So, like, on the Trump side, he actually made a spoof meme of Pokemon Go called... Now, I'm, po- I'm, t- I'm just telling you what they're doing. I don't agree with him. I'm just telling you what they're doing. But he called it Crooked Hillary No. And there's, like, this whole animation of, like, catching Crooked Hillary. And they got really clever. It's like, her evolution will be unemployed because she won't win. And, like, all that stuff. And it's, like, this full meme. And then, meanwhile, the same day... Hillary Clinton's at a speech talking about Pokemon Go and saying, I wish they made, the developers would make Pokemon Go to the polls. Ha ha ha. But then while she's cracking those lame, essentially, dad jokes, um, even though she's obviously not a dad, her campaign was legitimately setting up campaign events at Pokestops. Legitimately. They put out blasts to local areas. I think there's one in Ohio where they're like, hey, come on down to whatever park. We're going to be running Pokemon lures all day. And you can, you know, come catch some Pokemon, hang out, and learn a bit about Hillary Clinton and register to vote. It's just like, this is crazy. This this game that we knew was coming forever, and we talked about, you know, we played the beta, we talked about it, and we didn't, I had no idea it would blow up like this. It's now, like, everywhere. And, like, it's still, where there's crazy stories. Just the other day, during a State Department briefing, U.S. government State Department, the spokesperson of the department was giving a brief on ISIS. And he stopped himself to ask a reporter... If he's playing Pokemon and whether he successfully caught the Pokemon he was looking for. Basically, the reporter was playing it during the briefing. He called oh. him out on it. 
And then at, he went back. Like, he's like, blah, blah, blah. ISIS is bad. Da, 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 da. We need to stop them. Is that is that, that Pokemon thing? And the reporter's like, I'm just, I'm just checking it. He's like, okay. And they went back to talk about ISIS. And at the end of the briefing, he's like, so did you catch what you were trying to catch? And he's like, no. He's like, well, that's too bad. But, like, that's crazy. Like, government business about ISIS being interrupted for jokes about Pokemon. Like, what? <laughs> like, it's insane how big this guy. The mayor of Rio. I don't know. Did you hear about this one? In Brazil, the mayor of Wasn't Rio. He, like, asking for Yes, he basically was Pokemon? begging for Pokemon Go to be released down there before the Olympics because they need the tourism booth because Rio's a crime-ridden city and the Olympics being there is going to be a complete and total train wreck. Pokemon will save them. But, yeah, but he's like, oh, we can get people to walk around Rio and go to local shops if they play Pokemon. So please release it here in Brazil sooner. Like, it's just so... I, I know I keep saying, like, it's crazy, but, like, I've never seen a game have this impact. I've never seen a game lead to Yelp literally adding a filter. They have a Pokestop filter now. If you go on Yelp and search for things, you can filter it by, is there a Pokestop nearby? I mean, granted, that's crowdsourced. When you check in on Yelp, they're going to ask you, is there a Pokestop nearby? But the fact that they built in a Pokestop filter is just, like, it's just nuts. Or how about T-Mobile giving away a year free Pokemon Go data use? for their T-Mobile Tuesday promotion, along with a $15 lift credit so you can drive to Poke uh, Gym and free Wendy's Frosty so you can have a snack on your way. Like, it's just so crazy. Oh, by the way, that that T-Mobile thing, while it's super cool that they're giving away free data, real big violation of net neutrality. They're basically like, oh, you could play this game for free and we'll let you not hurt your data plan. But if you want to play this indie game, tough, we don't favor it. We're picking sides, and if you want to play that, that's on you. You got to pay for that. But if you want to play this, by all means. Mm-hmm. Like, it's actually kind of – it sets a really bad precedent. Like, net neutrality is super important, and that flies in the face of it. But so nonetheless – they're breaking the law? No, on mobile, you're allowed to do that sort of oh. thing right now. But nonetheless, like, it's just insane that, like, <laughs> T-Mobile's are like, everyone gets to play Pokemon, and we'll give you free money to go do it. It's just – or how, or uh, that's not even all. There's Pokemon dating apps now. Have you heard about these? There's Poke Dates and Poke Meet. And both of them, the idea is you like make a profile, you put in your location, and then they will set up a meet with another Pokemon Go player. And then the two of you go and catch Pokemon and chat and ultimately fall in love and get married and die together. Huh? Yeah. But yeah, these are actual dating apps. And then like even Razer, the, uh, the PC peripheral maker, they make gaming PCs, they make gaming PC accessories. They have come out with a Pokemon chat app that's location-based. It's kind of like the dating ones, but it's – you're like – it's a geolocation thing, and then you just talk to people nearby based on where you are, and it's branded with, like, co-brands, like, Razor Chat Go or something. It's about, like, talking about the Pokemon, that sort of thing. But, like, all these things, it's cra- It's been out for three weeks. Just to be clear, it's only been out for three weeks. And all this has happened in three weeks. It's mm-hmm. unstoppable. Oh, here's a few others. Has it already hit its peak? Uh, yeah, it's starting to come down. Yeah. We'll get to that in a sec. But I was going to say, I didn't even mention Rihanna told concert goers to not play during the concert. Chris Hardwick went on Conan and ranted about I mean, Pokemon for like five I mean, minutes I like last, I mean, the other night. She was also telling people like, like oh, don't text the boyfriend or mm-hmm. your girlfriend or whatever. But to specify, like, also don't play Pokemon. Well, yeah, I mean. Tim Cook on Apple's earning report today. Like, they have an earnings call. Their earnings are coming in. And someone asked him about Pokemon. And he's like, yeah, it's actually, we're investing in AR. Like, stuff like Pokemon's really cool. Hmm. Um, but I should clarify, he actually called Pokemon Pokemans, for real. Tim Cook called the number one app on the App Store Pokemans instead of Pokemon. But, but yeah, my point is with all this, like, 
it's 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 just insane how big this has got. I don't think there's been anything of this caliber for Nintendo. And granted, it's not fully Nintendo. It's Niantic and Pokemon Company. But I don't think there's been anything with Nintendo this big ever. Like, I don't think the Wii... Maybe the Wii. The Wii probably came close. But this... The Wii was not something that... I mean, granted, I remember Obama talking about how they have a Wii in the White House and that sort of thing. But that was over years. That was over a couple years that the Wii got that watershed moment. This is a couple weeks. Like, that's... It's crazy. You've even got people building maps now. Like, I don't know... How do you feel about... Do you, I mean, you know about these, because our friend does it, but... I thought we found the Mymore. Yeah, that's true. That's right. He told us. I don't remember how he found yeah. out. But and I you just feel... have the map on his computer refreshing every few seconds, and he's like, oh, according to this map, there's a Magmar here, and the rest of the Pokemon. The, the map thing just rubs me the wrong way. Granted, I used it to get Magmar, I'll admit. But, like, so, for those who don't know, basically, people have gotten clever and made these apps that will tell you where Pokemon are. They essentially scan the game with a dummy profile, like, at rapid speed, and identify all the Pokemon in the area. So... You're essentially removing the finding the Pokemon part of Pokemon Go. And you can do that either with a Poke Radar app. That's been number two on the App Store for a few days now, right under Pokemon Go. Or you can get this free code on GitHub and then install it on your own server like our friend did. And then it overlays all the Pokemon sprites on a Google map. So you can literally go, oh, there it is. And while the ingenuity of this all is extremely cool and, like, it is really cool, I just, it just feels so much like cheating. Like it feels like it's it's like it's like getting the, an action replay or a game shark and building your perfect Pokemon team without actually playing through the game. Which I bring up specifically because I know you did, but that's because you were playing Pokemon for the battling. What are you play? What is the benefit here with the map besides just being able to scam legit players out of getting their gyms or whatever? Not even scam—that's the wrong word, but you know what I mean. Wait. How does that affect because the, gym the Pokemon goer? you catch, you can get, you can look and see. Okay, there's a really powerful one over there. I'm gonna go over there. I'm gonna get that Pokemon. Mm, use that. That's to the capture thing, though. Like, I mean, even though the levels are, they're still determined by like what your your level are, and even then, you're not even guaranteed a powerful Pokemon. Like when we ran into, that's true. actually, that's true. I take that back. So, like, it really doesn't make any difference. Like, as far as like the gym, the gyms go, if you know where Pokemon are, because when we went for that Magmar. Um, one of our friends, like, I got, like, um, we were capturing them. Like, mine had, like, an orange ring. So, that means, like, oh, okay. So, it's, like, a Magmar in the 300s or something. Right. But our other friend got a Magmar with a green ring. So, his was, like, 50 or something. Even though he's a way higher level than I am, which doesn't make sense. That's true. Maybe maybe I got a little overdramatic there. But it just, it just feels like, to me, like, half of Pokemon Go is you're supposed to go find the Pokemon. So, to have a map and just be like, well, I'm walking to this jacuzzi at the hotel next door, which is literally what there. we did. Yeah. I guess it's not too bad. It's I mean, not as bad as hacking a Pokemon from scratch, I guess. I mean, all it's doing is taking the guesswork out of what direction you have to go for what Pokemon. Because like, it's still... like The radar tells you like about nine Pokemon in your vicinity. So you're like, alright, there's a Dragonite in the area. But instead of having to walk in every direction and watch it disappear or get closer or farther, the map just tells you, like, oh, it's just right here. I'm gonna go to this area. I will say the map is actually super useful right now because of the three-step glitch where every single Pokemon is constantly showing as being three steps away. Which is something Niantic said at Comic-Con at their panel that they're fixing, but we will talk about that later because I actually did go that mm, What are we talking about later? Uh, what? Oh, no, everything's later. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, we're, we're easing our way through. There's a whole narrative here. No, but, um, yeah, I guess the map thing isn't that bad, but, like, I guess the worst one are the bots. I mean, the I bots see, that basically. I, I could yeah. see. I could see the map being an issue if, only if 
um, catching a Pokemon meant the Pokemon wasn't there for other people. But because true. it's not, like, it literally has no effect on anyone else's experience. That's true. It is. The, po- the, the, um, if any- yeah, it's all co-op opposed to competitive. So yeah, if you so, see a Pokemon and you tell someone. Yeah, so if anything, like, I mean, whatever. Like, if someone wants to do that, then whatever. So if, it, if, yeah. if it makes it more fun for them, that's all that matters. Yeah, I guess that's true. It doesn't actually hinder anything. All right, maybe I was Yeah, like, like don't let someone else's mode of play affect how much I guess I guess just when I saw it I was just like oh it's like a game shark but I guess it really isn't no. I mean it is but it doesn't hurt anyone it's like a no it's, it's anything it's more like a strategy guide yeah alright it's like a prima strategy okay. guide I mean like they literally told you where the hidden secrets were right I mean but there were things you buy that were real I mean they were, they were official yeah this is, but I mean, there's no Prima for Pokemon Go, so I guess this is like the next best thing. Yeah, that's true. And that is true. what Prima would do. Like, if they had a way to put it on paper and give you a strategy guide, like, oh, you live in um, East LA, here's the map of all the Pokemon. Yeah, like, they that, do that's, it. All right, that's fair. That's that's actually probably the best comparison. So yeah, maybe maybe I jumped the gun. But again, that's because like all the games are, I don't know, they're separate from each other. Yeah, so. the the bots, however, are a whole other story. People figure out a way to literally just have a bot automatically run around and catch every Pokemon and level itself up, and then you're just a really powerful trainer with this bot, which is that's a little shadier. But yeah, that that's the one where the gym stuff actually gets affected because yeah. then you're making a super powerful trainer super fast. But on the flip side, um, the fact that there are these bots shows that Pokemon's are again plays into this whole idea of like it's been only three weeks and well, Pokemon Go is popular this enough. People. Big. Find with two, yeah, like, and, and and in a way, I mean that's, I mean some people like I mean they, they just they live for reverse engineering thing. I mean why yeah. shouldn't they be allowed to like open their games up? I mean, like I, be- I think if it harms, if it affects how other oh, people no, no, who yeah, play yeah, legitimately yeah. play, I have a bit of a problem with it. If it's self-contained like the maps, you're right. I overreacted to that, and that makes sense. But if it's like I'm gonna use a bot, I'm gonna go conquer all the gyms for team. Missed it. Oh yeah, that that kind of sucks. Yeah, and as a team Valor player, I would be deeply offended. But especially um, because they don't basically have to do anything. They think, oh, yeah, they don't they're have to do a Yeah, it's it's that's I I assume and since they're they not even controlling banned. it. I mean, like, how can you really get any satisfaction from actually conquering those gems? It's just like I don't know. It's like oh, I did it. <laughs> yeah, it's like <laughs> it's go. Like, it's not that you didn't even do it. It's like you check your app. And it's like oh, cool. It, Eight gyms happened, and while I was at work, okay. <laughs> I don't know. I, I guess that's like a whole another level of like team loyalty to want to capture yeah. them or but, something. But, but I mean, isn't that basically like doping in the Olympics? It's like steroid use in baseball. You're juking your stats by using artificial enhancers. What's well, the thing? You're not juking your stats. You're you're just creating like robot. you're juking your team stats. Yeah. By doing that, you're helping Team Valor, Team Mystic, Team Instinct. Okay, no one helps Team Instinct. They're worthless. But uh, Team Valor, Team Mystic, uh, shots fired. You you're helping them. You're juking their stats. You're being their steroids. Like it just. I hope a Niantic is aware of stuff. They ban people, so I'm hoping that's what happens here. But that that one's the. That one's the real bother, I guess, if I want to be a little British. But the, like I said, the fact that these bots exist really show how big it is. Like, to give you an idea of just how legitimately insane Go has become these past few weeks, I compiled all these different stats about its usage. They're rapid fire. This won't take long. But, for example, did you know that the single biggest day of trading on the Japanese stock market in a century happened to Nintendo's stock because of Pokemon Go? 476 billion yen or 4.5 billion dollars worth of shares were all traded in a single Friday, which is the biggest turnover of any company on Tokyo Stock Exchange in 
this in a century. That is 71% growth for Nintendo in that week, which is crazy. It helped Nintendo become bigger than Sony. Their market cap was $40 billion, which was more than so- all of Sony. Well, that happened during the Wii that they were bigger than Sony. They were bigger than Toyota at one point, but that was off the entire Wii and DS. This is off Pokemon Go. The it got so much that the um the number like the volume of stock, like physically the number of shares was the most sold, I think, ever on record. Fifty three million individual shares exchanged hands within a week of Pokemon Go coming out. Which is crazy. Now to be fair, those stock numbers did not actually stick around too long. So in the time since that happened, they've already come back down because it took investors a full week to realize that Nintendo didn't make Pokemon Go. We knew this. Nintendo fans knew this. But investors did not realize this for a enti- an entire week. So on Monday, just a couple days ago, um, the stock just went straight down. It dropped by 17% or roughly $6.4 billion wow. in a single day. It's the biggest drop for Nintendo since 1990 after previously seeing their biggest rise since 1986. Um, and it's all because Nintendo, as you may or may not no, we all know they own a share of it, but they get about 32% of Pokemon stuff. Niantic, Pokemon Company, they're splitting it with Nintendo. So, once investors realized that, it wasn't, you know, things started coming down. But again, the company went up Are so still, much. Uh, that higher than yes, they were before Pokemon Go? With As of this recording, they're still up way higher. Because, I mean, they made they went up something like $11 billion in a week in value. So, coming back down $6.4 billion, you're still up 5 something. So... They're okay. Or 4.6, I guess. No, that'd be 10. Yeah, 5 point, whatever. Uh, so yeah, it's it's probably going to keep dropping, but it seems to be stabilizing, I guess. And the performance of the app itself, though, regardless of the stock market, the performance of the app is, like, I it's it's crazy. Like, Apple said last week that Go, Pokemon Go is the most downloaded app. Like, the first, let me rephrase that. Go was downloaded more times in its first week than any other app ever. Ooh. Yes. There's a firm, all these different analytics firms. See, wow, more than Facebook? In its first week. In its first week. In its first week? In its first week, yes. Wow. To get, now, there's a bunch of different analytics firms that take the data, like they have access to different app data and stuff, and they extrapolate it to make some numbers. So one firm called Sensor Tower said, and I kind of alluded to this earlier, the game's been downloaded over 75 million times worldwide so far, which is huge. Give you an idea of how crazy it's become. Uh, a different analytics firm called Slice Intelligence has said that Go now has more in-game, in-app purchase buyers, or at least did at its peak, than the entire rest of the gaming mar- mobile gaming market. Not just like, oh, it did better than the number two game. It did better than number two through Infinity combined. Just Pokemon Go. At least right after launch. Which is, again, crazy. And then you've got, like, this, this other firm's uh, SurveyMonkey who was looking at, like, what the user impact is. Because it's like, okay, sure, most downloaded app, tons of purchases at first. How many people are actually still playing the thing? And they found that in the following week after its launch, 7 out of 10 people who downloaded the game continue to play it daily. For comparison, games like this, which uh, have uh, what's called the D1 retention rate, which means uh, return next day, day mm-hmm. one return, uh... Normally, you get three out of ten people to come back. It had seven out of ten, so it's on. It like people. This game seems to be working, and they found that people on average are worth about twenty five cents each. The average revenue per daily active user for Pokemon Go, they uh, they estimate is twenty five cents, 
which is twice what most games get. It's twice what Candy Crush Saga had. And mm-hmm. we all know how big that was. So yeah. It's really crazy. Like I know I keep saying crazy. Like, oh, it's so crazy. But really, like, another firm called SimilarWeb said that Pokemon Go had more active users as of at least July 11th than Pandora, Netflix, Google Hangouts, Spotify, Twitter, and according to Sensor Tower, more people or people spent more time in Pokemon Go than Facebook. 33 minutes in Go, 22 minutes in Facebook. Wow. Like this, it took everyone by surprise. So in total, what we're looking at as of July 12th, so it's a little out of date, but what we're looking at in the week following Pokemon is there were 21 million people that were playing daily. That's higher than the peak of Candy Crush at about 20 million. It's the biggest mobile game in U.S. history. It's the fastest download in U.S. history. It got so big that at one point in the days after its launch, the term Pokemon Go was Googled more than the word porn on the internet. The internet stopped caring about porn because they wanted to go catch some Pokemans. That's how big this got. (laughs) I think that I saved that stat for last because that's like the ultimate. Like if you thought porn, you won. Like if you can, if you can get everyone to just step outside and not look at that, you won. But again, to put this in perspective, this isn't going to be how it is forever. There's no way Pokemon Go is going to be on an upward trajectory forever. Like two separate analytics firms, SurveyMonkey and Sensor Tower, both believe that downloads have peaked and are actually starting to come back down a little. Doesn't mean well, there's no. I mean, who doesn't have the game now? Right, exactly. And it doesn't mean there's no interest. It doesn't mean it's going to disappear into like an ether. It doesn't mean like it's going to drop off face of the earth like draw something did but the explosion that we were that rocket that everyone was riding it, it you know it runs out of fuel at some point it's got to start tapering off and that is why now more than ever it's important for niantic to continue to keep people engaged and we talked a little about this last episode like what would our dream things be for pokemon go like we were saying notifications would be good a watch app would be good um, Didn't someone like things like make that? A yes, for Android. watch for Android. Yeah, they did. It's an app. So what it does is you actually you make a second Pokemon Go account and you log in as that account, and then that account just runs around kind of like a bot, but it doesn't actually catch anything. All it does is alert you. It senses what's in the area and goes, "Hey, there are three Ghastly, two Growlithe, and a Sandshrew over here." And they're like, "Oh, cool!" So then you open your app and go catch them. It just pushes notifications every time it sees a Pokemon. You can't kinda filter how them. It should have been. Yes, exactly. So someone at least is building what we wanted. But, like, that was our kind of wish list. And the thing is, Niantic needs to start telling people what they're doing. And that is where Comic-Con comes in. This all comes full circle back to Comic-Con, I promise. Because Niantic had the Comic-Con panel this year. They closed out Comic-Con. They were the final Hall H panel. For those that don't know, Hall H is the biggest hall. It's the one people stand in line overnight for. It's the one where Marvel and Warner Brothers and all them do those crazy blowouts with, like, you know, every star you can ever imagine in one room. That's Hall H. It seats 7,000 people. 7,000 people went to the Pokemon Go panel. It was a full panel. Granted, you could just walk in. There wasn't really a line, but it was a full panel. And there was a ton of buzz leading up to that panel, and I feel like a lot of it was misguided. Like, in the days leading up... I mean, you heard this. I heard it. it everyone I heard was, it from you. Well, I heard on... Bu- like, I read it on Twitter, but then I heard it on buses coming in to meet you guys that morning at the convention oh, yeah, and center. And I saw, like, people hugging the walls while the panel was going on. Yeah, like, Hall H... It was I've never seen a traffic jam like that at Hall H so at Comic Con. So basically panel only seats seven thousand. A ton of people are like I'm not gonna stand in line for a panel, but I wanna believe this rumor that a legendary Pokemon's gonna be released at the panel. So they all crowded around outside Hall H 
Which means that aliens are invading. Aliens are invading. Was that your ringtone? What was that? It was an alarm. Has your your alarm is an alien invasion? Yeah, it's very obnoxious and it makes you wake up. That I mean, I do have an obnoxious one too. I actually use my way back in the day, the BlackBerry. You remember that, the BlackBerry Storm, Whoa. and it had a really annoying alarm that like pop 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 like like that. No, and yeah, just yeah. I have it. I just keep it because it's like so jarring and it won't ruin a song for me. Because the worst is when you have a song you like and then you hate it because it always reminds you of having to wake up. Nope, that's not have that one because it's so high pitched and shrilly that like mm-hmm, you just mm-hmm. want to turn it off. But yeah, like the yeah, my roommate freshman year had a song called Cyclone by Baby Bash as his um, alarm. And every time I hear that song on the radio now, which somehow it's still played, I just flash back to I don't want to get out of bed. Like I just flash back to negative memories. <laughs> but anyway, what I was saying about um, Pokemon. So Hall H, yeah, there's so many people outside that leaving Hall H, normally it's like a two-second walk around the corner back in the convention center because they take you outside and around. It took 15 minutes to walk about mm, 60 feet. Because there's so many people. There are thousands of people just compressed there. No one can move. I've never seen like a traffic jam like that at Comic-Con. It was crazy. But anyway, the reason this whole thing happened is people thought there's going to be a legendary. Someone tweeted and a verified user on Twitter was like, yeah, there's going to be a, the first legendary Pokemon is going to be given out at the panel for those attending. And that just spread like wildfire. People camped overnight for Pokemon. And I feel bad for them because that panel did not, was not worth staying up overnight for. Um but people camped out overnight. There was talk all over the place. Um, it was like the most buzzed about thing that day. And then um, it didn't happen. And when it didn't happen, people got upset. Like a fan in the Q&A portion of the panel specifically asked the CEO of Niantic, uh, John Hankey, I think is how you say his name. It's spelled Hank with an E at the end, so I assume it's Hankey. But uh, they asked like, hey, so... You guys said one day there's going to be special Pokemon and special events. Uh, Comic-Con's pretty special, so can we expect a Pokemon today? And poor John, CEO John, had to very timidly explain that the feature doesn't exist yet in the game because they still need to roll it out worldwide. And, yeah, fans were not very pleased. There were some audible groans and a few boos, and it was it was a little tense for a second there. And, like, the thing is, it's not exactly Hank's, John Hank's fault or Hanky's fault. Like, the panel, for those who obviously don't keep up with Con, there's a lot of you, the panel was originally going to be in a room that seats 480 people, not 7,000 people. And more significantly, it was meant to be a talk about augmented reality and location-based gaming, just kind of in a general sense. And Ingress and Pokemon Go are going to be the examples used throughout, kind of the running examples. And the move to Hall H was out of necessity simply because the game blew up so fast, like, oh crap, people are going to see Pokemon Go and want to go this, so let's move it. So anyone who thought Niantic may suddenly deploy a Pokemon or unleash some crazy big new news or thing may have expected a little too much. And granted, I bought into the hype that there's going to be a legendary and it didn't. But but see, even like, you know, when they go like, oh, Chris Hardwick, like Comic-Con god Chris Hardwick of Nerdist is moderating the panel now. It's like, oh, well, they've got something big. They got Chris Hardwick in on this. But not necessarily. They did did not. And like, yeah, it it that's what kind of it wasn't really their fault. It's just like I believe the legendary is possible. A lot of people did, but I wasn't really surprised when it didn't happen. Because I'm like, oh duh, they how could they prepare for this? Five days before the panel, they moved it. They don't really have a way to like shift all their resources. So, yeah. Now I should an aside. Chris Hardwick was actually really good as a moderator. He is legit into Pokemon Go. Like he's a legit player. He's level eighteen. He knew his stuff. He threw around a ton of disses because he's on Team Mystic. He was really calling out um, 
us on Team Valor. They didn't really call out Team Instinct because no one calls out Team Instinct because who cares about Team Instinct? But nonetheless, um, yeah, he uh, he was it was actually very fun. The only flaw he called Jigglypuff Jigglypoof, and I don't know if I can forgive forgive him for that, but. But the rest was on point. And then he yeah, went on Conan. His pet name for Jigglypuff? Uh, maybe. And then he was on Conan on Monday, and he was, like, playing Pokemon Go, like, on, during the interview. Like, Conan had to, like, be, like, stop playing. <laughs> so, I mean, granted, it was a comedy bit. But but still, it was... Yeah, it was, it was actually kind of a fun panel in that regard. Um, oh, the trash talk was so good. Like, the first question, the guy goes up, and he's like, Hey, uh, I think you made a mistake with your intro. And he was, like, dead. He was, like, acting like he was, like, offended. He's like, you... you Like, I, I re- you really screwed up the intro, like... You shouldn't have said what's up, Team Mystic. It's all about Team Valor, and of course everyone freaks out. And he's like, and then Chris Harkall, all defensive. He's like, you... long story short, I learned that Team Mystic has a great nickname of Team Mistake, and Team Valor is always obviously the best. So just just starting out there. Wait, where are you? You're Team Mystic. It doesn't matter. I don't really care. But you should care. Why? Because this is how the world's it's being dumb. divided. It's not Republican Democrat it's anymore. Not dumb. It's I Mystic did, I just, Valor. I just... Well, yeah, everyone's obviously hamming it up. No, I, 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 right I just. Now. I mean, right now, like, I'm literally just playing it um, for the to sake fulfill of... the challenge that you've made against me? Yeah, to fulfill the challenge, which means that I am, I'm only concerned with um, filling up the Pokedex, not how strong a Pokemon is, which mm-hmm. means that the gyms are completely relevant to me, which means that the teams are completely relevant to yeah, me. Yeah, the gyms aren't... I honestly haven't been doing much gym fighting either. The one across the street from my house... Oh, you know when I left to come over here today, there's a guy parked in front of my driveway crying to beat the gym. I actually had to move, have ask him to move his car because I couldn't get out of my driveway. Wow. Fun fact. Uh, fun little story. I mean, the only reason no, I'm on Team Mystic is because um, our first friend that was playing this was on Team Instinct and then Jason, who's whoa, rather, who played whoa, it before. Whoa, whoa, I was the first in the group playing it. it. I had it within I'm, 10 I'm, minutes. I'm going to give him credit. So, our other friend who played it first <laughs> was on Team Instinct and then Jason, who played it then after, was on Team Valor and I didn't want to be on either of their teams just for some arbitrary reason, which only left me with Team Mystic. Right. I mean, technically he was playing it before me because I, I couldn't get a name. But I was logged on before him. All right. Well, again, <laughs> that doesn't matter. It does. Pride's on the line. But, okay. But back to the panel. To be fair to Niantic, even though they didn't have a legendary, um, I feel like they did share some stuff on stage. It kind of gives us a taste of what's next. And that, that is what was interesting and what, kind of make, gives me hope that this thing, you know, maybe we, this won't completely fall off the face of the earth, draw something style. So, Henke described that uh, Go, apparently, what we are currently playing in Pokemon Go is only 10% of the final game. Uh, he plans to do, they plan to do more with Pokestop, Beyond Lures, they're going to do more with gyms, they're going to introduce Pokemon centers, they're going to uh, have trading, they reconfirm trading is for sure coming. They will bring on other... They're looking into other Pokemon staples, like breeding in some way, but they don't have concrete plans for that yet. Someone suggested it in the Q&A, and he's like, we are thinking about it. So that's coming. More Pokemon are for sure coming. Uh, he confirmed... He's very cryptic about all of it. Like, they didn't actually say much, but they confirmed a lot of little things. Like, for example, yes, the legendary birds do have something to do with each individual team, and we'll learn more ultimately about that. There's also fixes for the three-step bug Rejects talks about, talked about. That was called out specifically... And he acknowledged it. Um, also, there's a guy. A guy went up on stage or up to the mic and very passionately pleaded for a solution to gym poaching, which you don't know much about gyms, as you just said. So I guess I'll tell you. But well, you don't know about gym poaching, right? You probably guess. But the idea. That's it. Sure. The idea is, I go knock down a gym. There's a quick second or two where I have to add my Pokemon to the gym after I beat the gym and it goes gray where you could assign it to anyone and someone swoops in and puts their Pokemon there. 
Mm. I've been guilty of doing this a couple of times, not going to lie. But I do think a fix is a good idea. And the guy that was on stage was, like, really passionate about it. Like, on the verge of, like, he was, like, I wouldn't say he was shaking, but he was, like, very, like, well, frustrated slash sad slash That the person what. that, I guess, gets rid of the gym should be the one to put their Pokemon Yeah, there. so so the guy suggests, like, oh, like, just give, like, a 30-second buffer between. Like, give 30 seconds where you can put your Pokemon. And, and John Henke's just like, huh. Not a bad idea. <laughs> so I guess that's happening. Um, but the big reveal, and I use big in air quotes, but the big reveal uh, was the identity of each of the team leaders in Pokemon Go. Because apparently the only reason there are silhouettes currently is because Niantic couldn't get the art done before the game launched. That is something he actually said. I think it's probably true because that game launched a lot sooner than I thought it would. But uh, yeah. So if you're on Team Valor, you got Candela. If you're on Team Mystic, you got Blanc, uh, Blanche or Blanca or Blanca or whatever. And then the one guy in the group is Spark for Team Instinct. They're not bad designs, but I don't know if that's like a big reveal that everyone was like dying for at Bay of Breath. Well, I mean, the DeviantArt community seems to already have jumped on yeah, them like crazy. No, they look cool. Like, it's cool. And it's actually kind of cool that there's two women and one guy opposed to the other way around. Yeah, they're already the fan fiction that the two women are in a relationship and of the guy course. is just like the some guy that's just that watches in, through a peephole somewhere. He's he the third wheel. Uh, this is how Pokemon Go top porn because they already have this uh, this love <laughs> triangle going on. But um, yeah, I mean, so that's kind of a he he said to Game Informer also right before like shortly before his panel that they're going to be doing biweekly updates. So I think the takeaway from these things is like it's a lot of little things, kind of scatter shot. But what the panel, what I left the panel thinking was a that was some funny trash talk, and b. This they have a plan. They have a long term plan. This is not like they threw it out there and are going to see what happens. They he kept saying they're working on this for months and for years, and this is a game that's going to be fully developed. And that ten percent thing really stuck with me. Is like this is not something that's like oh it's a promotional app for Pokemon Sun and Moon. No, this is a self contained thing. They the whole idea was, of it was to get people to go out and walk around and meet people and do communal things and catch Pokemon and bond over that. So it's not something that's going to be one and done for marketing. This is a real thing. It was Niantic going to Nintendo and Pokemon saying, we want to do this, not Pokemon and Nintendo going to Niantic like, can we use this to promote Pokemon? So as such, it's a real game, and that actually is really cool because it means, it means this could get way, way better down the line because it is, has this jankiness right now for sure. Um, and, I mean, we're already seeing some of the new features happen. Outside of the panel, when Pokemon Go launched in Japan, it came with the first ever sponsored locations. So every single McDonald's in the country is now a gym. That's over 3,000 gyms in Japan that are just McDonald's. Hmm. Um, Can't take advantage of that, I guess. Oh, wait, yeah, oh, yeah what, you're about to go. Oh, wait, did you say gyms? Every Pokemon, yes. Every, oh, never mind. And there might be Pokestops as well. No. I just know about gyms. They're probably both, honestly. Or, well, next to each other. But, yes, when you go to Japan in, like, 12 hours, because we're recording this right before you leave, uh, yeah, you should go check that out. And the fact that this happened actually led to McDonald's Japan stock going up. First, there was news that they were doing Pokemon Happy Meal toys, and their stock saw the biggest jump in, like, years. And then the Pokemon Go thing came out, and it grew even higher. Like, Pokemon's that powerful. Wow. Um, but, yeah, it makes sense, though. The, the partnership makes total sense. Like, Niantic previously has done this with other companies for Ingress. Nintendo and Pokemon Company are really close with McDonald's. have done promotions before. It also makes sense. I feel like I see more in... in oh, it's Pokemon. Japan. Yeah, it's Pokemon. No, yeah, no, you're right. Pokemon and McDonald's. Definitely in Japan are very close. And yeah. Nintendo McDonald's in the U.S. are very close. The hotspots used to be there. Nintendo zones. I feel like here in the U.S. it always feels like it's like N- Nintendo and Wendy's. I rarely see like... Maybe. Hamburger King. Nintendo, Hamburger King, Nintendo yeah. gets around. Also Sonic. They had mm-hmm. Mario toys last summer. Mm-hmm. 
But and Subway? No, not Subway. Something you won't expect. Yeah, it was was it Subway that ended Mario recently? Well, Yogurt Land currently. Yeah, who knows? He, yeah, yeah, he's definitely gonna allow. But but this whole like sponsored location thing is actually a really I feel like it's a really smart move for Niantic because it's already happening even without the them making money off it. Like GameStop's CEO told I there's this interview with CNBC and the CEO of GameStop said that stores with a Pokestop or gym have seen sales of Pokemon merchandise literally double, go up a hundred percent in a single weekend following Pokemon Go. They didn't announce an event, they didn't like have a thing. This were gyms and stops and people just walked in and they're like Yep, I'm getting a Pokemon. Oh, cool, a Pikachu plush, and just buy it, bought it. Mm. Like, literally doubled. Likewise, there are stores in New York. There's this whole report from Bloomberg that there's stores in New York that are reporting, like, upticks in fr- foot traffic and purchasing. A pizzeria saw a 30% increase in sales um, after running $10 worth of lures at the Pokestop at their location. And then some bars are doing, like, pub crawls and are seeing people just, like, people will come by, get some Pokemon, and they'll be like, let's get a beer and go inside. Like, all these things are being lifted up by the foot traffic of Go, so why not capitalize it, on it? Because if Niantic can do that, they don't need to charge more money to yeah. for in-app purchases, and they can keep the game free. I mean, we even saw, like, some of that being taken for their Comic-Con. Like, some of the yep. food vendors were like, oh, if you're a level 10, you get, like, some discount. Oh, yeah, the this. food truck, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a bar over by Petco Park, which is a baseball stadium there, that um, also had, had a, lot of Pokemon a bunch of Pokemon yeah. stuff, yeah. But but it's interesting because, like, so Niantic in the game obviously has control over setting up promotional things. It's a very Foursquare-like, actually. Like, this is what Foursquare wanted to do is, like, promotions in that, like, you check in or, in this case, go catch a Pokemon and get something at the store. This is very Foursquare. But other com- there's other companies forming specifically to do these things, like startups. Like, it's spawning its own little startup industry. One in particular that's kind of interesting was called that I saw was called Lore Deals, and uh, basically it's designed to help small businesses drum up interest through Pokemon Go, which the fact that this exists, it's just like, again, crazy. Like, economies are, economies are really shifting over this stuff. Uh, it does it by not conflicting with Niantic's own in-game sponsorships, too, so this could actually work in the long haul. Basically, you sign up on their website, you're either a player or a store. If you're a player, they're going to assign you certain locations to go and drop lures. And then you go and drop the lure, and then people will go to that location to get the lure and, you know, obviously go to the store. If you're a store... You basically put in money to purchase the lures and to pay the people to go you, to drop them for you. So it's probably like a buck or two extra. I don't know the exact fees, but you you like set a deal as the business. You set a deal. You pick a look. You pick a block of time to run the deal, and then lure deals will announce to all its local players, "Hey, go there. Someone drop a lure and go there. We'll reward you." And then it, it goes. And here's the crazy thing. They've been pilot programming it. Like, they already did a pilot program for it. All the participating stores saw sales go up by 10 to 20% by mm-hmm. doing this lure thing. Granted, who knows if this works in the long haul, because who knows how many people will be playing in the long haul. But, like, right now, in the current frenzy, if you combine this with the Pokestop filters on Yelp, it's quite the boon for small businesses. Like, quite the boon. So, I mean, do, do you remember when we, we were walking around Culver City, I think the day our last podcast went up, and, like, we were standing for a restaurant, the waiter came out, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, you guys are getting the Arcanine, there's Vulpix around the corner, oh, he was, like, yeah. giving us all these directions, like, it's, it's so cool, like, everyone's into this, like, you're, the age doesn't matter, the gender doesn't matter, the demographic doesn't matter, like, it doesn't matter what your background is, everyone seems to be into Pokemon, which is really kind of neat like you like my office like half the office is not playing it or was at one point but 
I don't know if this is enough to prevent burnout. Like you, you already were telling me you might give up on the challenge potentially. Like you're over it. Yeah, like I don't want to lose, but I'm not having fun either. Yeah, because I think uh, part of it. Or no, go ahead. You're gonna say something. No, oh, I was gonna say I think part of it is like when you get a just, higher like, level. Like, like, like honestly, like the only like moments where I'm like, like, like oh, this is fun. Is when, it, it, it's when I'm catching um, Pokemon that I'm specifically interested in. So it was fun when I was trying to catch the Magmar and the Pinsir. And, but once I catch the Hitmonlee, I'll, I'll pretty much just be like, oh, just another one to get off the list because this is what I have to do to not lose to Jason. <laughs> right. But it's just like, I mean, I think that burnout you're kind of describing, there is like a burnout. Like it's like I've caught 20 Geodudes. I don't care to catch 20 more. Or in my case, hundreds upon hundreds. Me and Chris Harbour can, me and Chris Harbour can bond over this if I ever meet him. We both hate the number of Sandshrew. He made that very clear in the panel. But um, there's so many Sandshrew in LA. My God, so many. But yeah, there's like a burnout thing because the higher you get in the game, the harder it is for a Pokemon to stay in the Pokeball. So like, oh, the po- and they don't even have to be more powerful. It could be a CP20 Sandshrew or a CP300 Sandshrew, and both of them will just sometimes come out of the Pokeball. So you're using more Pokeballs per Pokemon. They're harder to catch. And then you start running out of Pokeballs. And it's just kind of like you're hesitant to catch Pokemon. And there's no real rhyme or reason for why they're breaking free. And you just kind of feel like, is this worth it at this point? Like, I'm just, like, I've actually spent real money on Pokeballs now. Like, I think I spent three bucks bucks so far. Mm. But it's just kind of like, I mean, given how many hours I put into the game, Niantic can have my $3. Mm. Yeah. But it's just like... I could see why, how, why or how people will burn out. And I, all this stuff we just ran through sounds like great improvements, but like some of the basic stuff, like the game shouldn't become more difficult for no clear reason as you get better at it. So I hope they address those things or else I will burn out and I will be over it. But right now I'm still pretty into it. Mm -hmm. I was hoping to catch a lot of Comic-Con, but like between the phone battery dying all the time and just, like, you're running around so much. I actually barely played it at Comic-Con. Like, I thought I'd be all over it, but no, not really. Did you even touch it at Comic-Con? Um, only when I was told that there was a Pokemon near there that I didn't have in the Pokedex. Uh, oh, yeah, I, I would do it. I mean, there were many times where, like, a friend and I would tell her, like, oh, there's this Pokemon here, but I already had it, so I was like, oh, that's cool. But, I mean, right. they went because they were trying to level up and just get better Pokemon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, it's definitely, like, a legitimate competitive side to it, but... I guess it's just one that I'm not really interested in. It's fine. It, it, it's, 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 yeah, it's just not my cup of tea, I guess. It's literally just that. Right. It's fine because, like, when it first was announced, we're like, what? So you just catch them? What? That, that's it? But And even when the gym system was announced, like, that sounds really low-key. But, like, it's become weirdly competitive. Yeah. There's no depth to it in the way there is normal Pokemon. Yeah, it's just, but... a, it's just a matter of, like, being patient until you find, like, a really strong, like, a really strong, like, first evolution that you can eventually turn into a really strong third evolution and so yeah forth. exactly exactly it's just a patience thing like if you're patient enough you can be very very powerful but yeah yeah but i mean that's the, and that's that's just the, the crazy thing is we just spent however long we spent talking just about pokemon go but that's only one third of the pokemon news from around the time of comic-con the oh other biggie was there were these rumors that legendary pictures the guys behind batman uh, Dark Knight trilogy, the guys behind the Warcraft movie. There are rumors they were closing in on the Pokemon license, and right after Go blew up, it became official. So on the eve of Comic Con, it was revealed that Legendary is in fact making a live action Pokemon movie. Just not quite what you would expect. So get ready. 
for Detective Pikachu, the movie. Uh, production on the project is being fast-tracked for, uh, in 2017 at some point. Universal's going to handle the distribution, and besides that, we know absolutely nothing about it. But I find it interesting and kind of like it better. A lot of pressure on them. They can't mess this up. But see, I feel like some of that pressure is relieved because it's not a regular Pokemon movie. It's not Ash Ketchum. It's not a kid going out on an adventure to catch them all. It's like a side story, which gives a lot more flexibility, though. It's the first, like, mainstream live-action Pokemon movie. Yeah. Like, I mean... Pokemon are gonna be in it. Yeah, how that's handled is a pretty big deal. Doesn't matter that's if it's true. about Ash or not. Like, just how the Pokemon look is gonna be the biggest deal breaker or not. Like, if they're not handled just right, they will either look really creepy, really cool, or really stupid. And it will either make it like, yep, Pokemon should never be in live action, or maybe like, oh, all right, this is this has potential. What's What's interesting is this is the one. Like they're setting a president. Like, for anyone making, like... That's true. I mean, are, yeah, that's the thing. Like, if it's live action, like, they have to... I mean, are they going to go for full realism, or are they going to go for... I mean, I don't know. I, no, no I just don't... Contrary to the internet, I do not want Dan DeVito voicing Detective Pikachu. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, if they're going, like, for a full movie, that will get old. Um, Yeah, I don't know. That's a really good question. And, like, we don't even know... So, Detective Pikachu talks, so it kind of makes sense that he would be the star, because... Or he it'd be his movie because you can't really have like you can't in a movie that's trying to be whatever they do whether they make it Transformers style whether they make it GI Joe style whether they make it uh, Garfield style or even in a Chipmunk style you can't have these creatures literally for three two hours just running around going Pika 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 so I, I guess you can but it it it's weird I guess it's like the Minions at that point point. Uh, and the game he does talk like that it's only to that one kid that. Actually, right, but then the movie audience can be in that kid's head in terms of being able oh, yeah, to understand yeah. him. Yeah, but but yeah, like it, they become minions at that point; they won't be actual characters. So it, it, for me, it kind of makes sense. And I'd rather if they mess up and if they set a bad precedent, like you're saying, I'd rather they do it with a spinoff that can be brushed under the rug and forgotten Mario movie style. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's a very good a point. Because yeah. like if they really told the story of Red, for example, like from Pokemon Red, like if you're Red or you're Blue and you're out fighting Gary and stuff, and they botched that, that ruins childhoods. <laughs> or nostalgia of childhoods. If you do Detective Pikachu, it's like, whatever. Yeah, I mean, I guess, like, until Pokemon Company themselves, like, writes the script or something and hands... Like, well, they're super involved. Well, even more involved. Yeah, yeah. Like, once they're, like, directly, like, the ones, like, making it, then I guess people can easily forgive, like, this one for whatever it did. Because then it's like, oh, like, this is the real one. This is, like... I don't know, I guess, too, like, hardcore Godzilla fans, the legendary Godzilla movies, while more... More like traditional Godzilla movies in recent years. Um, they're still not made by Toho. And at the end of the day, if it's not made by Toho, a lot of people will brush off all these Godzilla movies because right. they're not legit Godzilla movies. Right. So this could just be that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because you have more experience with legendary adapting Japanese things because you're a big Godzilla fan. So, like... Well, I mean, they've only done that one movie. No, but I mean, like, you, as a long-time Godzilla fan, probably can immediately identify what was right and what was wrong with it, right? Well, yeah, I mean, they... This one was probably like, the closest be... we got to like a proper Godzilla film. Not that like I feel like it needed to be. Like I mean, I just want to see Godzilla. Right. right. But that's also kind of where the movie kind of teased you a little too much. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. That was even though it's funny. That was... Even though like people <laughs> timed how long Godzilla appeared in this film. Yeah. And it's actually not that far off. And in some compared to others, like traditional Godzilla movies, he actually appears longer. Yeah. Then, but it's just the way 
They did it. The thing I find funny about that is, like, we saw it together, if I remember correctly, right? I don't I think remember. Because so. I feel like I remember looking over at you. Yeah, no, we definitely did. Because I remember looking over oh. at you. Every time they showed a hint of Godzilla, I'd look over, and you'd look very frustrated. <laughs> like, you'd be like, uh, oh, okay. Because oh. like, it took, like, two hours for Godzilla to actually be shown in full. I mean, it, two. Mm-hmm. One and a half. It was one hour. Yeah, okay. And the movie's not that long. The movie I saw was two and a half hours. I thought the final battle was at two hour mark, whatever. But yeah, so I guess we'll see what happens to Detective Pikachu. Um, one of one of the people we follow on Twitter, uh, if he's listening, GT Noter, Earl, hi, uh, had a really cool idea of like, this could almost be Roger Rabbit too. Like you can interact with all the other Pokemon, all the other characters of the world and just have Pikachu be the Roger Rabbit equivalent. And then the movie was a murder mystery, so. Yeah, it's certainly possible. Like I'd be okay with that, honestly. That could, that could be very fun. But, um, I feel like this kind of explains why uh, Detective Pikachu, the video game, has never come out outside Japan yet. Maybe they're waiting for the movie. Although, Spoilers. Yeah. Although, that, the, the, the flip side of that is there, the 3DS is not going to be a thing by the time this movie comes out. So, mm. most likely. Because if, if it's in production in 2017, it's out in 2018. Mm. So, we have quite a ways. But, it does fit in quite nicely with Nintendo's uh, IP expansion plans. Like, it seems like everything Nintendo's doing with their IP expansion, Detective Pikachu, Universal Studios, merchandise, they're going for this, like, poke. They're trying to do this, like, impact as big as Pokemon Go. Specifically, Universal Studios. It's just kind of a side, but there is, um, the Japanese, the head of Universal Studios Japan was just saying recently that they have very big expectations for the Mario Zone that they're building. It was supposedly exceed his word harry potter's universal studios japan setup so basically the hogwarts thing here at universal mario's gonna be bigger and for comparison harry potter costs 400 million to make and they expect mario to top 500 million also indirectly they confirmed it's all mario themed i guess oh so there's that at least in japan at least in japan they haven't talked about the u.s plans but in japan they're expected to spend half a billion on this crazy new Mario world. Makes sense. I mean... It does. If you're going to play it safe, I mean, you can't get any safer than Mario. I mean, as... Yeah. Say what you about the controls. I mean, like... I thought Star Fox is popular. Well, I mean, I guess... It's not that popular. Yeah. It's not that popular. But yeah, so I think I think Pokemon... Like, seeing this with Detective Pikachu... Again, it's Pokemon coming, so it's a little different. But, like, clearly Nintendo... Clearly Nintendo is not... The IP thing is not a way to lure people into Nintendo consoles. It is literally its own division now. Like, it's not about Nintendo saying, hey, how can we have this be a gateway drug? It's literally like, let's just give them this drug forever and then this other drug forever. And they can be together. They can be separate. You know, it could be cocaine. It could be heroin. It could be a speedball or it could be its own cocaine and heroin. Uh, also, I made, I don't know why I made that drug reference of all things, but there's probably better ones, safer ones. It could probably be like it could be vanilla, it could be Coke, or it could be vanilla Coke, but either way, elsewhere on the web, while Pokemon the movie was being discussed, a different type of Pokemon news was being to- uh, told or shared. Actually, I botched that transition. It's actually three different types of news, um, all relating to Pokemon Sun and Moon. The first is that the upcoming 3DS game will let you train now more than ever. You can train past level 100 in a way. It's called hyper training. You want to talk about it? I know you have many thoughts. Not many. Some. It, you have thoughts. You want to explain first? You want to explain what it is? Because I don't even know exactly how it works. And then I like to underplay everything I say in case you haven't noticed. Yes, I, um, I, I certainly have. So, 
I don't know. I guess like they're. Huh, what's the easy way of saying it? Pretty much, um, Nintendo, they've definitely made, or Pokemon Company has made it apparent that they're trying to make competitive Pokemon battling a lot more approachable. Like, they did it with X and Y with Super Training, where they pretty much let you do EV training, but this one is just about, I don't know, this one has irked a lot of people in the wrong way just because EVs are, uh, I guess the easy way to explain it is, um, <laughs> Every Pokemon you have, every Pokemon you, you capture, you have 252 or there are about points to work with. So you can distribute into any stats you want. So that if you want, and using those points, you could make a Charizard that is a very speedy Charizard with a lot of physical attack. But he'll be a lot frailer than another Charizard that is trained purely on defense and attack, but then he's going to be a lot slower. Basically, customize strength and weakness. It, it's, pre- it's pretty much fully customizable Pokemon. Okay. But, so that's EVs. Those are the things you can control. IVs are things that a Pokemon is just inherently created with. So when they're born from the egg or captured in the wild, right. they already have pre-designated stats. Right. And those stats are go from 0 to 31. So if you breed a Pokemon, which is very, which has been easier and easier to do with every iteration of the game... Mm-hmm. Um, you can make a Pokemon with like 31 IVs across the board, and then if you train them correctly and whatever stats you want, you essentially have a perfect Pokemon. So, so you can have, you could, like, when you make a cross board, like literally, you can make it so every single IV that they have, that that Pokemon has, can be maxed out. Yeah. Unlike EVs, where you have to kind of p- pick because yeah, one to, affects yeah, 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 the other you negatively. Pick, so essentially, gotcha. you always want the IVs to be as best as possible. Sure. And the EVs, you just cater them to whatever thing you want. Sure. And hyper training, like, this hasn't been, like, said just straight up because I don't think Nintendo would straight up use the terminology IV and EVs. Right. But based on, like, just what their description of it says and what, how people are interpreting it, it just seems that um, if you have this bottle cap item, you could give it to a Pokemon, and then all of a sudden they have perfect IVs across the board, just like that. Whether you caught it, whether you bred it, whether anything. And it looks like the only catch is that the Pokemon has to be at level 100, which does take some time to do, but yeah, so, that, that so mean, what makes it hyper training? If you're just like, here's an item, you're perfect now. You're it's not funny because really like, anything because you're never really. But they're calling it training. It's never been possible to train IVs, but all that's doing is um, cutting down on breeding time because trying to get the correct IVs across the board usually takes the longest. Oh, because it's like it's like a, a a slot machine with each egg you hatch. Yeah, and all you're doing is just increasing your odds. So whenever you get a Pokemon, like, oh, this one has. Um, there's six stats total. So like, oh, this one has three out of six perfect IVs. So now I'm mm, gonna breed. Okay. I'm gonna replace the Pokemon with breeding with with this one, and then you get one with four out of six IVs, and you replace the other one, and then you just keep doing it until you have, presumably until you have five out of six, because one of the stats, one of the attacks is usually useless, because you're only gonna go physical attacks or special attacks. But now in theory, you cannot play that whole roulette egg roulette. Yeah. You can train your Pokemon however you want. Get this bottle cap item. Give it to them when they hit level 100, and then you just literally max out the Pokemon in every way. Yep. Interesting. So the only thing breeding will be good for would be for egg moves, because some moves can only be learned through breeding. So, so it's someone that's like and the uh, ability. So there's still some merit to breeding, but it's definitely like not as long. It's diminished a little. So as someone who's like a big battle, like you play Pokemon for the battling. So what? What's your take on this? Honestly, like is it a bad thing? A good thing? I can't really. I don't really I, I, know I enough think, about I this part of Pokemon. Are, overreacting right now because honestly the fact that if it turns out that you do have to have them at level 100 
in order for this to work, then breeding and grinding through to get the perfect IV Pokemon is probably still going to be faster mm. than getting them to level 100. Right. Because towards the end, even before um, we were given um, like perfect dittos to make Pokemon perfect Pokemon faster, all of a sudden I managed to create like perfect Pokemon without the use of any like device or anything. Like pretty quickly, like within it would probably take like an, an hour or two, but we were able to make Pokemon pretty regularly without having. Mm. I mean, like, once you have the good. Once you have the EVs spread out and the right IVs, you don't have to train them anymore. Right. Like, you could leave a Pokemon at level 32, and if you take it online, it's like it defaults them to level 50. So, as long as you put the EVs in the proper place, it's going to be as good as any Pokemon, even one that's level 100. So, this is almost. It's just when you first have to get to level 100. It's almost more yeah. work. So, it's kind of like a discuss, like, oh, I guess it's like, oh, if you caught this Pokemon and you bonded with it, like, oh, I had this Pokemon since it was like a level 2. But I don't want to make another Pokemon because this is the Pokemon I want to use. You make it level 100, and then all of a sudden he's not a a lost cause. So can you? So the IV... so, so in that sense, I think it's kind of cool. The thing that it does actually change competitively, at least for people that haven't been cheating to get these legendary Pokemon, because mm-hmm. I, I don't, I never use legendary Pokemon in battling, so this never applied to me or will affect me. Uh-huh. But you are allowed to use legendary Pokemon in competitive tournaments and. The thing about that is that um, you can't breed legendary Pokemon, so you have no control over their IVs. So mm-hmm. whatever you capture them with, it's just what they have. Mm-hmm. And what the bottle caps do is not just mean that you don't have to keep resetting your game over and over again until you get a good legendary Pokemon. You just, just capture one and you make it perfect and that's it. Maybe they haven't specified this, but does the bottle cap automatically boost you or do you have to do something? Because they kept saying it's hyper-training. So where's the... Um, I don't know. It, Training. It, it just looks like you just go Mr. Hyper trains them or something. Oh, interesting. Huh. I don't know. I mean, we'll see. Like, we still need to find out more, but this is just, like, the implications and what it might cause. Like, it, at first, people were kind of, I don't know, were like, oh, this throws, like, all my hard work is going to go to waste. Like, this sucks. Like, it's better for people that cheat. Right. Because now I don't have to do as much work, but... I don't know. Well, it's, it's yet to be... It's yet to be seen if it actually will decrease time, because I... I have. I kind of believe that breeding them is still going to be faster than getting them to level one hundred. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it because you're basically. Because I mean, you basically I mean, said like, like you get them, you just breed them right, you raise them a little, and then when you go online and they're fifty. Yeah. No matter what, and the hundreds are dragged down to fifty, are they not? Yeah, so, they're dragged yeah, down to fifty. So then you really don't need. So this must be for like tournament play, like legit or like nationals and stuff, like Pokemon's official. Oh no, well, that's like, even then. Like you don't you don't need to do it for nationals. It's just like once you're. Once you get a good breeding system going, you can make Pokemon really fast and not even... Oh, okay. Like, that's a, like, professional-level Pokemon don't need to be at level 100. Gotcha. You can have, oh, right, because you can have the... E- yeah, because yeah, the EVs all that, and the IVs would already be yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah, it would huh. only matter for legendary Pokemon. But or, I, guess, I guess it's interesting that they are still... They are changing stuff up pretty... In, in some yeah, ways, I mean, I mean, we'll see. Like, game. maybe it ends up being different. I mean, who knows, but... Yeah. It'll, it'll, be, I mean, it'll be interesting to find out. Yeah, and that's not, that's like like that's not even the only thing they're changing. Like they are, we kept saying like, oh, Sun Moon, maybe they're gonna mix things up. Like it's on islands now. There's rumors that there might not be actual gyms, but you, you win the island. And then there's like, in addition to hyper training, the second thing they announced were new online modes. They're actually changing the global link system entirely to allow for what they're calling friendly competitions. So players will be able to host their own matches, uh, set their own rules. 
they decided to play against online rivals or people playing around them. So you can host local mini tournaments by scanning QR codes of people around you, and the code will trigger the correct set of rules and allow them to participate. Uh-huh. Or you do it online with friends or strangers, again, through a, you know, setting up rules and stuff, I guess through a lobby system. But, like, that's a pretty significant thing for Pokemon. Like, they're really encouraging competitive play, which is something that you kind of said during the hyper-training thing. But, like, that, the idea of, like, just build your own Pokemon tournament right here, right now with QR codes is kind of neat. That's actually, like, that could be a significant thing for Pokemon. Like, that could become mm-hmm. big. That's, it's those things you don't really think about. You're just like, oh, yeah, QR codes. But, no, like, that could be potentially super cool yeah, and lead to fast, some very remember, ad hoc things. Because I remember when I went to regionals, um, they had to use the infrared to get you synced up to the tournament. They had a, I forgot, either a little machine or another 3DS, but you just, like, lined up the 3DS just right, and then all the info appeared on the screen, and then it's like, oh, this is right. you're at the regionals, blah, blah, blah. So this is just like that on steroids. But what's interesting about this, and maybe this caused a small... I feel like I didn't see any uproar about this online, but I'm sure some people were bummed, is they actually have to change the Global Link system. So they're discontinuing the Global Link for Pokemon that already exists for online play for XY, Omega Ruby, Alpha Sapphire. And in its place, it's something, maybe. They didn't say if Global Link as a whole was going offline. They just said the current Global Link system is going offline. So we could be seeing the end of online support for XY and Auras mm. soon. Which, I guess that's one way to make people buy Sun and Moon. But that, that, I, I, I'm assuming they just mean they're going to roll out a slightly modified one that includes friendly competitions for Sun and Moon. But that that's kind of crazy if they're pulling the plug already. I mean, Auras is only, what, a year old? Yeah, X and Y is two or three fast. years old? So maybe maybe it is just uh, just updating it, opposed to fully killing it. But it's a weird because they, they worded it as service for the current global link system will be discontinued in order to get ready for Sun and Moon. The Pokemon, uh, like okay, the Pokemon company didn't like say what that is. Mm. So so we'll see. Um, so that's news number two about Sun and Moon. The final bit of news about Sun and Moon is that the internet is co- totally obsessed. Not just Pokemon Go, but with creating fan art for the best Sun and Moon Pokemon yet, bar none, which is Mimikyu, which has the saddest backstory. So Mimikyu is this little guy who looks like a hand-drawn, like a poorly drawn Pikachu. And he's kind of slumped. And the reason he looks like that, this is honestly like sad. So this Pokemon's a ghost type. He's neglected. And he sees all the love... That Pikachu gets in the Pokemon world and in our world, but he doesn't know our world is different. All the love of Pikachu, he sees all the merchandise of Pikachu, and he just wants to be loved like Pikachu is loved. So he draws himself, and he's a very shy Pokemon that can't go in the sun and it's uncomfortable. So he builds himself a little costume just so he can get some attention and be loved. How sad is that? <laughs> it's like the best Pokemon backstory ever. But in reality, it's really smart for Game Freak because essentially what they're doing is going, You guys love Pikachu? Check this out. Instead of instead of us making new costumes for Pikachu, why don't we make a Pikachu costume for someone else? Like they're basically opening the door to a ton more merchandise for Mimikyu because it, it, it's a, it's kind of adorable and it's like sad slumpiness. But yeah, that's just one of seven new Pokemon they revealed. And you know what? You were right, Angel. You were right. I did jump the gun saying this po- this generation had the best Pokemon in a long time because this new batch Mimikyu Mimikyu's great. Some of the others are, there's something else to, to put it lightly. Like, uh, there's a pretty cool horse, 
Mudsdale. Yeah, he's cool. He's a cool horse. There's a little bug guy named Wimpod who looks kind of wimpy, and that that works, sure. Then you got a fruit po- Pokemon named Bone Sweet, which I know you have thoughts so of because it looks a certain amount. I also was like, oh, is it an evolution of a fourth gen Pokemon? I'm like, oh no, it's not. Nope, it just happens to look almost identical. Come on, Pokemon Company. And then they also brought well, back... Well, I mean, they're modeled after a specific... Well, yeah, they're different. Life, but they're still, different I mean, yeah. One's a berry, one's a melon, but nonetheless. Uh, then there's the first object Pokemon of uh, Sun and Moon, which is named Comfy. Like, comfortable. Yeah. And it resembles a lay, like the flower necklace in Hawaii. Yeah, so the actual Pokemon's like a tiny little flower thing. Yeah, but it's his attached tail to it. Like yeah, is, is the rest of the lay, and you can wear him, and I'm sure he's quite comfy. So, yeah. And then I saved the the pinnacle of my point for last. Beware. Now, would you like to cover this? As someone who does animation and understands character design, would you like to share your thoughts on this one? Oh, man, I forgot what, how I described that. The, the way I sent the text to you for him. I can find the text. No, that's cool. It, it, I'll it, find the text. It just looks like a mishmash of like just random ideas thrown together. Like he's like a, he looks He's supposed to be a bear, but he has like a raccoon tail. The colors are just... You know what? He looks like um, he's supposed to be a cause, um, not cosmopolitan. Uh, a cosmopolitan, right? No, no. The, you know, like at um, like an In and Out, you can get a a milkshake of strawberry, vanilla, and chocolate. Neapolitan. Neapolitan. Yeah, he, he's like a Neapolitan colored Neapolitan Pokemon. Raccoon bear cosplaying cat. He he thing. is he is something else. I will give you that. Yeah, he's just weird. He's. I, I, I'd be wary of that Pokemon. And well, I'm gonna read your text. I got. Or would you like to read your text? Oh, that's cool. I, I think I. I think you got. It uh, here, <laughs> it was literally made by committee. This is what you wrote. It was literally made by committee. Uh, uh, make it big, but cute, but strong, but pink for girls, but also brown for boys. Give it a raccoon tail. Make it have cosplay cat ears. Caught a bear. <laughs> like yeah. So it's basically what you said, but. I just censor you, by the way. You definitely had some words we can't say on this podcast <laughs> on there. Um, yeah. Beware. Beware is something special for sure. Uh, but yeah, I think like I think now we're entering the phase of the Pokemon where they're becoming a bit more... Out there. The later generation style. So I jumped the gun by saying they're all wonderful. They're not all wonderful. Uh, I don't know. Not I, the later generation style. They're entering the um, it's not generations. as good style. Yeah. I mean, mis- we First, can't overlook the fact that like someone like Jinx and Mr. Mime exist in Gen 1, and they look ridiculous. So uh, Every Pokemon generation right, has right. its I shouldn't have said oddballs. later generation. You're right. Um, Don't let the nostalgia glasses fool you. I know. But speaking of nostalgia, speaking of nostalgia, how about this for nostalgia? NES Classic Edition. Um, Switching away from Pokemon. There's no nostalgia there. What are you talking about? For a lot of people, there is. Oh, okay. Jeez. I played the NES when I was younger. No, it's because we were just talking about like how Gen One. Like, oh, like, oh, I'm oh, you don't I, like yeah, the nostalgia yeah, yeah. for you, but I'm like, yeah. The first game I played, like, that doesn't really. No, I, the first game I ever played was Super Mario Brothers. Uh, daycare, granted, it wasn't my copy. It's funny because but... like my like Super Mario experiences were all from Super Mario All Stars for Super Nintendo. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. So when I saw the NES version, I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm not gonna bother with that. Yeah, yeah. It uh, but yeah. So for those who don't know, first of all, taking a step back before we talk about the classic edition. How weird is it, like, a month, not even weird, how funny is it that, like, a month ago, we were sitting here on this podcast saying on Nintendo, basically, there's nothing for 2016. There's no Zelda. It looks great, but it's not until 2017. The fall's kind of weak. They got Metroid Prime Federation Force, Paper Mario Color Splash, Pokemon Sun and Moon, and that's kind of it. Like, there's not a whole lot going on. 
But yet now, here we are a month, six weeks later, something like that, and Pokemon Go is the biggest thing Nintendo's done in years. And then they had another huge hit on their hand with this announcement of the NES Classic Edition, which suddenly their line, their holiday has like this big thing that's probably going to sell plenty. Like kind of, Just kind of funny how what six weeks can change. But for those who somehow may have missed it, uh, quick summary, the new NES Classic Edition is Nintendo's like first entry into this idea of like the micro console trend. Like, you know, you can go get a mini Mega Drive or a mini Genesis, and I can get a mini NES. It's literally a replica of the NES that fits in the palm of your hand. It will support HDMI. It hooks up to your flat screen. It lets you play 30 different games straight from the system. No cartridge needed. It's plug and play. Uh, it comes with replica NES controllers that swap out the normal plug for a Wii Remote port plug which means that you can use it not just with the mini NES, but also with your Wii or Wii U for virtual console. With the classic controller Pro, I guess? Like the Pro, yeah. yeah. It's basically a reskin. Anything, anything that would connect to exactly. the bottom of the exactly. game with the Wii and notes, And yeah. the system itself will come with one controller for 60 bucks, but if you want a second controller, it'll only cost you $10. Wow, that's really cheap. It's actually a pretty good deal. So to me, to me, there are multiple things Nintendo's doing right here. Like, absolutely right with this thing. First off, it just looks really cool. Like, they had it. They showed it in public for the first time at their lounge at Comic-Con. And it is so tiny. And it is so neat looking. Like, we'll have a gallery up on the site soon that has um, all the stuff from Comic-Con we saw. Like, the gaming sites, the non-gaming sites. And there's there's some stuff of, of it. And it, it's so it's such a cool little system. Like, it, it's literally the, like, baby brother of the NES. Um, but really, I think more so than just how cool it looks, the concept of it is the selling point in and of itself. Like, Pokemon Go showed that there's a lot of money in nostalgia right now. Like, everyone loves remembering their youth. Yes. And, like, I mean, I mean, this episode, we call it Comic-Con Resurgence because everything we're talking about, everything from Comic-Con that's relevant to us this year is some throwback to some, another thing. Pokemon, NES, Sonic a bit. Like, we're at a specific point right now in gaming where everything old is sort of new again. And not just in terms of, like, some of the old-school gaming merch we may have seen, but, like, literally the old stuff is getting popular again. Like, Chris Kohler over at Wired, he wrote an article about the uh, about the NES Classic Edition. And he was saying that in that, ar- in that article, he was saying that classic NES cartridges, like actual real NES cartridges from back in the day, are actually rising in price lately. Separate from this. So there's definitely this revival going on. So that the Nintendo's that in their favor. That's that's one uh, smart move with this new NES. Beyond just that, though, I feel like there's also the fact that Nintendo just finally started to realize that fans who grew up with Mario, with Zelda, with Pokemon are now at the age where they have kids. And there's this whole untapped cross-generational market that Nintendo's suddenly like, oh, wait, we can lean into this and make a ton of money. I, I think the earliest sign of that was probably that the average age of an Amiibo buyer was, like, in their 20s, while, like, Skylanders and Disney Infinity was way lower. And then, of course, you have, like, the typical Smash Bros. players, also older, even though the game is is kid-friendly. Yeah, kid they release kid. consoles every five years, they have the potential to have some parents go, like, oh, I'm going to get this for my kid for Christmas instead of an Xbox One. Right, yeah, I mean, you're yeah. You're stuck with the NES for five years, then I'm going to get you a Super Nintendo, and then an Xbox Four. It then could we'll work. Out my it GameCube. could work. And eventually you can work your way up to modern consoles, I guess. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, like, <laughs> I don't think they're going to do that, but, like, I think this whole... You mean you won't? No, I don't have a kid. So that's the first problem. <laughs> but but this whole cross-generational thing, like, like parents doing that for their kids, maybe not to that extreme, but it's why I think Pokemon Go is so huge, is there's 
this double dipping. You have two audience, like the game can double dip into two different audiences now. We're seeing Nintendo go all out on this lately. I mean, they've got all those merchandise partnerships. Those are basically them doing that. The Vans thing, for example, the Vans shoes, they had adult size, they had kid size, they both sold out. It wasn't like, oh, that shoe's for a kid, or oh, that shoe's only for the old dude who remembers the, the 80s. No, like, both generations ate it up. Like, that's crazy. Or more, a better example, perhaps a more direct example, is those new 3DS ads they're running. We, we've seen them at movie theaters and like, uh, they have this slant of like, look how much your parents know about gaming. Hey, parents, now you should share these games with your kids. Like, it has that kind of double... Have you seen that ad? You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Where the mom's like, for those of you who haven't seen it, basically the mom is telling her kid, like, every time he walks through, it's like, oh, use the light arrow in that dungeon, or oh, drift here, or like, things like that, or oh, that's how you catch a Pokemon. And the kid's like, how do you know these things? Like, it's definitely the ads aimed at parents as much as it is at kids. And again, that's that cross-generational thing. So the classic edition, the NES, is just that idea extended a little further. Like, it's relatively cheap. It's a legal way for parents to be like, this is what I grew up with, child of mine, here you go. And all the games are there this controller is identical i mean not all the games but like some of the high the biggest ones controller is identical the system practically looks the same just smaller like it's literally like passing on a new working nes to your child so let them be like the same way our parents are like this is what i did as a kid this is my favorite toy mm-hmm. now nintendo's opening a door for that audience to do that with their kids plus they got people like me who are gonna buy it just for the straight up fandom and core gamers go want as a collectible just as much as it's an actual gaming device. I know I am. So like Go, they're able to double dip. They have these two separate audiences. Both are going to buy the thing. And what really is going to help it sell is that price point. 60 bucks, $59.99 for a holiday gift is pretty impulse buy territory for a lot of people. Yeah, it's like, pretty much the cost of one game. Yeah. One modern game. Literally the cost of one modern game. I think it would have been an even sweeter spot would be 50 $49.99, but... Well, I, th- I guess it's actually cheaper than... I mean, most games are $69.99, so... No, they're not. They're $59.99. $59? Oh, never yeah. mind then. But but yeah, I think I think fifty would have been better because like it mentally thinking oh sixty dollars sounds significantly more than fifty kind of like kind of like the whole ninety nine ninety nine sounds way less than a hundred or if you're like yeah I'll buy that for a hundred dollars but then it's like oh it's a hundred twenty dollars like ooh well that's way in the, that's in the hundreds already no 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 but it is kind of a bargain like if you're a legal purchaser of games if someone who doesn't pirate or have an emulator or get one of those retro what's it called, Retrotrons or whatever that lets you put any cartridge Retrons. Retrons. Like, an eShop NES game is five bucks. You get 30 of them, that's $150. Here, with the NES Classic, for less than half the price, you get all 30 games, plus the novelty mini NES, plus a fully functional NES controller replica that you can also use with other systems. Like, it's it's a really good deal. I mean, granted, I can't think of anyone that's going to look at the lineup of the NES mini or classic edition and be like i am gonna buy all 30 of those games on the eShop. yes like obviously we're gonna pick and choose but even if you buy like i think i i think if you buy just 12 games like if you said there are 12 games in the nes classic edition that i would buy in the eShop. if you spent put that money towards the nes it comes out to the same and at that point you get the free hardware and the free other 18 games so it's a it's a good deal, and I I mean I'm obviously not everyone's gonna buy it, but I think there's a huge huge market for this. Like I'm I'm buying one. I'm excited. What about I mean what about you? Are you? Mm, never really cared for any Sarah games. Yeah, it predates your Nintendoing. It doesn't, but um, because I mean, when I mean like, by the time we were old enough to like play games, like the Super Nintendo was already out. 
mm-hmm. and like I had cousins that had an NES. Like I would, like I, would, I had multiple chances to play the NES, but since we, I had the Super Nintendo myself, it just felt. I don't know, I guess inferior, and rightfully so. It, I mean, well, it, it's in, supposed in, to be... Uh, yeah, literally. So, I don't know. It's like, less super. It, it was like, like I guess having it as a comparison point just made it feel that much more, like, insignificant and the Super Nintendo much more important. Like, I don't know. I guess, like, having it made me like the Super Nintendo more. I mean, having it around made me like the Super Nintendo more in the NES. So that's right. like, why would I play this? Like, the games look terrible. Well, the controls suck for some of them. Yeah, no, that's true. The, the lineup in here is pretty good. But, no, it's funny because um, I was sort of in the same boat as a kid. Like, the daycare I used to go to had NES. And same thing. Like, like, oh, why would I play Legend of Zelda when there's, like, a Link oh, to the, the past. past? Or Super Mario Bros. when yeah. I have Super Mario All-Stars, which is pretty much literally those games, but... up Yeah, up but yeah, um, what, what was I say? It's or funny, it's Super like, Metroid. I mean, have you? Yeah, it's, that was it, it. It's literally. I feel like unless like you beat these games or instantly like like them as a kid, like unless you're gonna collect them, I don't really, like. I could see you getting it and liking it for what it is, but I can't really see you playing it either. I could just see you like getting it and being happy that you own it. I am getting <laughs> it for what it is, and I am liking it for what it is, and I am probably gonna get it and be like, I'm happy I own this and not play it much. But no, uh, what I was gonna say is, I was in the same boat as a kid, like. Because the daycare once you had NESs and Super Nintendos, and I'd always gravitate towards the Super Nintendo. But then as my Nintendo fandom built up as I got older and I started getting into, like, the history of Nintendo and reading that book Game Over, and I was all about, like, 80s and 90s Nintendo and, like, like the that side of Nintendo, like, my, my current, like, armchair analyst angle of Nintendo fandom, that is when I was really, like, appreciative of the NES era and all it did for Nintendo and what it meant. Oh, and yeah, the, or, and the roots or everything. I know you get that, too, but, like, for me, like... Now, like as a kid, I was less into the NES. I liked it. I played it. Like I said, Mario's first game, Mario Bros. Super Mario Bros. was the first game I ever played. But it's almost like in like 2000 is when I decided, you know what? I'm going to like the NES now. And then I kind of started going back towards that direction. So it's almost less nostalgia for me and more just like the the fandom and the, like you said, yeah, it's up my yeah. alley. It's like the collectible nature. Just more nature respect of, of anything, yeah. I guess. And I mean, it does have a good lineup, though. Like it's Respect and appreciation, but not nostalgia. Sure, sure. For, for a lot me, of people, it's nostalgia, me, yeah. though. Yeah, and for me, it's like a it's like a weird reverse. It's nostalgia, because I remember playing as a kid, but it wasn't like the fondest of memories, because I had a Super Nintendo right next to it to play, too. But, but the lineup on this thing is actually pretty good. Like... If you have any interest in NES, this has it has the big ones. It has all three Mario's. It has both Zelda's. It has Doctor Mario's. Excite Bike. Then it has some obscure stuff like Star Tropics. And then Nintendo. This is why I didn't think they would do. They actually talked to third parties and got their big games. So you got both Castlevanias. You got Contra. You got Tecmo Bowl. You got Ninja Gaiden, Pac Man, even Final Fantasy's in there, which hasn't even come to any virtual console ever. I don't believe. At least not the Wii U. At least not the eShop or the 3DS. So. It's a really solid lineup. Now, stuff is missing that should be there, but, like, for 30 games, that's a solid 30 games. The one downside of this whole thing, and while and why I really do agree with you that's more of a collectible for me than, like, an actual system, is the fact that it will never, ever get additional games. It is 100% self-contained. The cartridge slot is fake. No other games are being made at any point for the Classic Edition. It would have been cool to see it have an online storefront of some sort, almost like a virtual console inside it. But that would, of course, raise the price, and this is basically a one-and-done for Nintendo. This is Nintendo going, NX is delayed, we gotta get something out there to sell this holiday. People love nostalgia, we proved it already, let's, let's, go, with the, let's go with the plan. And sure enough, they're leveraging their IP, they're doing their IP expansion. 
then instead of licensing it out like Sega did for their systems, they're just straight up making their own. And it, based on the buzz, it's working. There's an article I saw, I think it was on Polygon, where the editor-in-chief was saying, like, their site saw way more traffic than you would expect about this system. And he was also quoting other, other journalists. Like, Kotaku saw, like, over 200,000 page views for this article, like, about the NES Classic. Like, it, a lot of people are talking about it. It's almost like Pokemon Go in that people you wouldn't expect to be into it. Like, hey, did you see that tiny NES? And... Yeah, and it's going to be out November 11th, and you're going to hear a lot more of that sort of feedback probably right around its launch, and I think it's going to be huge this holiday. So We'll see. It's definitely, for Nintendo, I think it's definitely going to make up for the lack of new games from a sales perspective. Hmm. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for it. It looked, I mean, it looked cool at Comic-Con, like it physically, like this neat little baby system. It looked really cool. It looks like a and fun, the, yes. Yeah, and they had the box there and everything like on display too, and it's it's all the packaging super retro. The commercial they put on YouTube now you're playing with power again, equally retro. Like I love how they mimic the box art of the old NES uh, starter pack or action pack or whatever it's called with this one. Like it's almost identical. It has like the weird star background, the same fonts. It's even the like the banner display for it in the Nintendo's booth had like '80s style advertising fonts, post to current ones. It was very well done. And going hand in hand with it, actually, announced at Comic-Con, is a new book. Prima Games is putting together a book called Playing with Power, Nintendo NES Classics. It's 320 pages of retrospectives about 17 NES games. Don't know which 17. There's going to be interviews with developers, vintage ads, Nintendo Power excerpts, artwork, uh, hand-drawn maps. It comes in a giant embossed... It's embossed in, like, a fake NES cartridge sleeve. It looks really cool, and it's only 27 bucks on Amazon. So I feel like anyone who's interested in the console, you should also go check out the book. I already got mine pre-ordered. It's basically Hyrule Historia for the NES. And it comes out within the same week of the console. So it's, it's, it's a cool little companion piece. I don't know why the 31st anniversary of the NES is the year that Nintendo decided to do all this, besides that they don't have anything to sell. But, hey, I don't care that it's a year late. It's still, it's still an awesome little compilation of things coming our way. Hmm. So yeah, I mean, you, you're probably not getting the book either since it has no NES has no value to you, huh? Mm, yeah, probably not. Did you ever get Hyrule Historia? I did. Oh, okay. Because I feel like like when I saw the book, I'm like, oh, it's perfect like companion book for Hyrule Historia. Yeah, I like Zelda. But... Yeah, yeah. No, I'm not saying you should because oh. of Hyrule Historia. I'm just saying like it's funny. Like my first thought wasn't I need to buy this. It's like it would look nice next to Hyrule Historia on my shelf. So then I bought it. Uh, but yeah, um, I don't know. I mean. I'll look into it if it's like a good, um, I don't know, if it's a good read as far as just like, like oh, History of the NES and maybe, but. Well, it sounds like they're interviewing some like Miyamoto and them, although they haven't confirmed names yet, but, mm. but we'll see. We'll the, see. um, yeah, so the only other thing at Comic-Con kind of shift gears at least, at least for us Nintendo gamers, um, was actually that of former Nintendo rivals Sega and Sonic. It was his 25th anniversary this year and Sega threw a party for him at the San Diego House of Blues. Uh, it had that party. <laughs> so we were off doing our own thing at Comic Con, but I heard it had like the weirdest technical glitches and oddities and just awkward moments. It sounds like it's truly something special for probably the wrong reasons. Uh, and just to give you guys a listener an idea of how fast Comic Con moves, so that party was Friday night at Comic Con, the Sonic 25th anniversary. There's Sonic in costume, it was very like kid friendly and welcoming, and yeah. And then the next day, 
we were at that same venue, House of Blues, for a party, for an after party thrown by Vice, the gritty, realistic journal, well, Viceland, their TV show, our TV network. But yeah, the gritty, realistic, like, journalism that is Vice, where they swear all they want, but they're still telling you the news. <coughs> Excuse me. My, my gravelly voice killed my throat. But yeah, that exact same venue in less than 24 hours switched from Sonic to Vice. It was a prequel party, by the way, but that's not the point. The point is that at the Sonic party, two big games were announced. One, one, only one's coming to Nintendo. Uh, so the two games were Sonic Mania and Project Sonic 2017. Sonic Mania is the one you would think would be on a Nintendo platform, but weirdly, no. As of right now, it looks to be only on PlayStation. So no Xbox One. I maybe the trailer only says PS4, so I'm not quite sure, but. The game itself is playing up to that whole nostalgia thing we've been talking about. It's doing what Nintendo's doing with its IP. It's revisiting classic Sonic levels and tweaking the layouts and designs. It's pulling from Sonic 1, 2, 3, Sonic and Knuckles. Like, it's Sonic CD. It's all 2D sprites again. You can play as Sonic, you can play as Tails, you can play as Knuckles. In other words, it's like a weird mix of like a, Son- of like a true Sonic 4 and like a Sonic like collection. As an anniversary game, it actually looks pretty cool. And I'm pretty sure it's going to do well for itself simply based on this wave of nostalgia everyone's riding. But the thing I don't understand is, or the thing that's perplexing is, why is it not on Nintendo platform? It's 2D. In theory, it could easily be done on the 3DS, let alone the Wii U. In fact, it could so easily be done on 3DS, I feel like, and I'm not the only one that, uh, Jules, the, uh, I'm blanking on his last name, of Renegade Kid. Yes, of Renegade Kid publicly stated on Twitter that he'd be happy to do the port to 3DS if Sega's interested, and they should reach out if so. Pro bono. I don't know about pro bono. <laughs> but, like, it's just weird. Like, why Why would this skip... Unless there's some crazy sprite work that they haven't talked about, why on earth would this skip a Nintendo system? I don't know. Especially because they then, right after that, announced Project Sonic 2017, which is officially coming to the NX, making it the third game after Zelda and Just Dance to be confirmed for that system. But, like, so the crazy, fancy 3D Sonic can make it to NX, but the 2D simple one can't even be an eShop release? That just strikes me as strange. But strange. But, yeah. Because, I mean, like, that looked cool. Sonic Mania looked cool. But Project Sonic was kind of interesting. I'm not sure what to think of it. It was, like, gritty, and well, then it wasn't. Just a, yeah, right now it was just a CG trailer, so until we see actual gameplay, mm-hmm. it's hard to tell what it is. I mean, they definitely have to clarify that. Like, nope, this is not a sequel to Sonic Generations. Which Even is... though it totally looked like one. Like, so, so, for those who haven't seen the trailer, a quick walkthrough is it shows a town burning. It shows an angry Sonic. He starts running. And then, yay, it's happy, classic, chubby Sonic. And then he smiles at him. And they run together, smiling. And it's like, so are you angry? Or are you happy? What is the tone here? But, I mean, it graphically it looked cool. I mean, it's just a rendered thing. But, I don't know. Like, what? what is that? And will Sonic Boom Sonic make an appearance? Because he's now part of the generations of Sonics, in a way. I actually thought he was in the trailer initially. Like, I was skipping around the trailer because I was watching on a bus and the service was crap, cell service was crappy. So I was kind of jumping around. I thought I saw him in there. I'm like, oh, cool, they're doing all three now. But then he wasn't, and I realized I'm just crazy. But yeah, I don't know, like... It, it, it's funny because the Star Trek, like, oh, from the team that brought you Sonic Colors and Sonic Generations, and I'm like, oh, so they're... They're not just saying Sonic Team anymore. They did say Sonic Team after, but they're actually specifying which team inside of Sonic Team, so people know. Oh, it's the it's the good 3D Sonic Team, not the not so good 3D Sonic Team. But 
Yeah, I, I'm curious about it. It's cool that's kind of NX. Um, I'm probably if we do you want do we want to read too much into this a bit? Do we want to take things a little further than necessary? I find it intriguing or peculiar that Project Sonic 2017 is coming to NX in late 2017, yet Mania Sonic Mania, which comes out in early 2017, is not coming to NX. NX know. is supposed to be out in March. Now, does Sega know something we don't? Isn't I mean, Nintendo says they're sticking in March, but why wouldn't Sega put both games on NX? They can ride the NX launch wave they could just with Mania. Not want to? I don't know. Throw away it, money? I don't yeah. Know. I don't know. I mean, it's certainly not the case of Nintendo being like, "Don't announce the next games yet," because Project was announced and Just Dance has been announced. But a little weird. A little weird. You just have free to respect. Money. You just have to respect their decision. I guess. I mean, if it really is PlayStation exclusive, then there's the answer. I mean, but if it's not, then it's like, why? Well, maybe the yeah, maybe Sony brokered a deal like Nintendo did. Perhaps, and they're it, like, all right, maybe we can't get both on a game to be exclusive, but we could maybe get one. Get the the anniversary game that just reuses old assets in HD. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So those are the two new Sonic games at Comic Con. Um, there's also one that we already knew was going to be there. One that's existed for a while in development, got delayed a whole year. Sonic Boom, Fire and Ice. So separate from the party, Sonic Boom was on display at Nintendo's booth, and you played it, and I played it in the past at E3. What'd you think of it? And do I do I tell people like what makes what the Fire and Ice thing's all about? Like it's it's a little different than um, like Sonic Rush or one of those where you're literally just running. Um, I don't know. I, I the demo I played had like three different game modes. Like, one was, like, running from the back, one was just a straight-up racing, and the other one was, I guess, like, a mix of platforming and running, kind of like the first Sonic Boom, but um, it seems to have definitely focused more on speed, which I guess is kind of cool. Wait, did you not do much of the... Fo- Sorry, I, I leaned back from the mic. Did you not do much of the Fire Ice stuff? Did you not do, like, yeah, it was, all, it was oh, okay, all sprinkled yeah. there. I so, mean, it, it really is just pressing L and R, yeah. and that's it. You know what it reminded me of is it's, like, the polarity in Fast Racing Neo or, like, Ikarug... Ikaruga on GameCube? Ikaruga? Yeah, where it's like you switch back and forth. Because it's basically... Like, if you play... It's literally that. Like, yeah. Like, you're running and, like, oh, these ice blocks are in your way. So, press R to go to fire mode to break through them. Oh, you're running and there's... um These water blocks are gonna... You're gonna fall through if you don't turn them into ice. So, you turn into ice mode with right. the press of the button again. So, it's just a matter of keeping track of when to switch between fire and ice to melt the ice or freeze the ice. Yeah, it's kind of like... And I so mean, far, that's it. It's, yeah, it's, it's just a small extra layer on top of Sonic. So, like, if you played Rush, or if you played Boom, or if you played Colors, or any of these other individual words that normally would have no meaning, but somehow now do, um, yeah, it's you're still right. It's it's really just, like, getting used to... You have the usual Sonic rhythm as you play through, of running through, but then you just need to get used to the idea of, like, as you're flying through the air, running through the loop, and you see ice up ahead, you gotta just tap it. So just kind of that extra little layer. It was pretty fun. I did when I played it at E three. I did um, one level where I was running, and then another where it was a boss fight, like a three D boss fight. Like it was in this, you ran into the screen, and had to hit him and stuff. It's kind of like the boss fights in Rush back in the day, Sonic Rush. And yeah, it's pretty fun. I mean, the ice, the ice fire thing. It did feel like it added a little something for me at least. Like it wasn't. We're not talking like crazy puzzles or anything complicated, but like it did. Make it feel a little more than just you run left to right or yeah, you run into the screen. Like, you can't just like mindlessly run. There's like 
they're pretty much forcing you to think on the spot. Yeah, and, they're, they're, but you can get into a rhythm with it. And well. um, I don't. There's just like other controls you have to remember. Like you have your tether that you have to remember goes with A. That your right. jump have an you have like an extra jump you could go in any direction with. And they're all kind of mapped to different buttons. So there's definitely like a small learning curve in the beginning. Like it took me a while to just get a handle of the controls. Like in the beginning, it just felt like why is everything a separate button? Yeah, but it's definitely like. You could tell it's a Sonic Boom game versus a normal Sonic game. Causes stuff like the tether and whatnot. Like it definitely has that extra layer where it's not like true Sonic, but it's still Sonic. Like I feel like like Sonic Boom. It's on, just Sonic on, with added. Yeah, it's just a more complex Sonic. Yeah, like Sonic Boom on the Wii U. Wii U. Yes, it was on Wii U. Um, that then you feel like Sonic. This at least feels still like Sonic, just as you said, has a couple extra layers. Yeah, I mean it was fun. It was, and I, mean, I yeah. don't know if I might pick it up, but it was definitely. I mean, it was just like a fun game. It definitely felt, it, it, yeah, like it reminded me a lot of Sonic Rush, but um, just a little more complex. Sonic Rush is really fun. Like that, I got the same impression. Um, when I played at E three. Like I, I even said to the the second guy there, I'm like, this is basically Sonic Rush with a couple layers. He's like, yep, that's what we're going for. So, I guess, I guess that was their intention. But yeah, it, it Sonic Rush is really fun. So, if I were ever buy a Sonic Boom, this would be the one. Probably, and I believe the other characters play a role in the game, but they did not demo it, so I'm not quite sure what that is. Yep. Yeah. But yeah, so it's kind of one of those things that, you know, we, there's not a ton for 3DS this year, so if you like Sonic Rush or any of the 2D Sonics, um, this is basically that. It's more mm-hmm. that Something than to keep boom. an eye on. Yeah, exactly. It's more that than boom. Um, so yeah, Fire and Ice, keep an eye on it. It's coming this fall, I believe. And with that, I guess we can go to our final bit of news, our only non-Comic-Con news, actually. And that is sales numbers are in for June. Great. But they're not quite what we're used to in a bad way. NPD, the group that tracks all this stuff, has changed the format for their sales charts to include digital sales from select publishers, from Xbox Live, from PSN, from Steam, not from Nintendo. So the numbers already are skewed against them. And what that means, for whatever reason, is when they shifted to include digital sales, they decided to also move away from unit totals for the top 10 to revenue earned. So instead of saying, you know, Breath of the Wild is number one in March 2017 with 2 million copies sold, MPD will now say, if it's true, Breath of the Wild is number one in uh, total revenue earned of $200 million or whatever. Like, it's not... It's not a good way to do it. I mean, on the upside, yes, you can count digital, but you could also count digital in units sold because when you download a digital copy, you're downloading a copy, much like you're buying a copy in a store. So they could have still done it that way, but what it means is games that are budget-priced, games that are handheld games, so 3DS are never going yeah. to chart because the $60 games are, are of course, going to be the revenue makers. And you, we also don't know if the revenue, I don't, I don't personally know if the revenue includes DLC. So, like, GTA was number two or three on the chart this month. It's like, is that because they continue to put out GTA Online stuff for sale? Like, is it going to stay up there forever? Like, will Kirby... Could Kirby Planet Robobot ever truly hit the top ten? Because it's a $40 game. Or, like, Kirby... Um, or a couple of years ago, Kirby and the Rainbow Curse, which was actually a $40 Wii U game. Will that ever chart? Who knows? No, I mean, they're literally, like... Yeah, like, if you buy... I mean, it's like, oversimplification. Like, oh, if you buy Chris Kerplunk? Chris Blunk? Chris Chris Blatt, Chris Blatt, no, Chris Blash, Chris, Chris Blash. Blatt. Oh yeah, Chris Blash. Like yeah, like sixty copies of Chris Blash were sold, 
versus like two two copies of any real game. Yeah, yeah. Well, Kersplash never actually had a retail release, so no, I know that's it. Well, digital, but yeah. that's a digital, but yeah. Although, and that's the other thing is like, why didn't Nintendo cough up their eShop stats? Like everyone else is there, so it's only gonna hurt Nintendo. On you know when these numbers are reported. But regardless, this is what we're stuck with. They also took away the thing where, like, it used to show you next to the top ten. It'd be like, here's the order of which platform did best. So it'd be like, oh, hey, um, Lego Star Wars The Force Awakens, which was number three this month in terms of revenue earned. Uh, look at this. Next to it, it says XB, Xbox One, then Wii U, then PS4. Oh, cool. The Wii U version outsold the PS4 version. That's what that meant. They took that out completely now. So we have no idea how anything does. We just get a random top ten, which is kind of a bummer. So with all that said, how did June look? Well, let me tell you. According to what we did get released, it was a slower-than-normal month, primarily because there are no high-profile game releases in June this year. Last year, there was Batman Arkham Knight as the top-selling new release, and this year there was Lego Star Wars The Force Awakens with a fifth of the sales of what Batman achieved a year ago. So on the revenue chart, Overwatch is number one this month, uh, unsurprisingly, and there were no Nintendo platform releases outside of Lego Star Wars that made the list. For Nintendo itself, though, it was actually a pretty decent month. Nintendo put out their own press release giving some actual data that's actually useful. For example, Kirby Planet Robobot was number four on the top ten of retail game sales. So actual physical copies, it came in number four, which is pretty decent. Um, on the digital side, they actually said they were happy about Rhythm having Mega Mix sales, and that was number one on the eShop for most of the month. Good to the hear that they're fact, happy. The fact that they are saying they're happy is a good sign because the last two Rhythm Heavens bombed hard enough that they never talked about the sales publicly. So it's it's a plus, perhaps, for the future uh, of the franchise. And lastly, Smash Bros. also hit some milestones um, in June. The Wii U version's U.S. sales have now passed 2 million, and the 3DS version's U.S. sales have now passed 3 million, just in the States alone. So that's this is what Jason Sales Corner, I guess, is going to become is just these sort of random one offs because even the leaks aren't as big. There's no real numbers for Wii U or 3DS, unfortunately. Um, no one's leaking stuff at the moment for whatever reason. But Nintendo threw us a bit of a bone. They said that the 3DS, um, the whole family of them, so new 3DS, old 3DS, 3DS XL, 2DS, combined their sales were up 39% month over month, which means that on some level, that 2DS price drop at the end of March or May, excuse me, are is working clearly if sales are up for uh, 40 nearly 40 percent it's it's working but that's sadly all we got like nintendo or npd i should say didn't give us anything like i'm hoping in the future they might provide more details or that there are more leaks because right now there's nothing but it's kind of it's kind of brief and sad and we don't really have context for anything like it's cool to say kirby did well but it doesn't mean much without some other stuff flanking it you know what i mean so the good news is, for those of you who do like Jason Sales Corner, and I know you're out there, you're in luck. Because next episode, Nintendo has their first uh, 2016 fiscal quarter financial report to talk to coming out. We're going to be talking about it. Sweet. We're going to be talking numbers. Now, this is the one fiscal report they do where they do not have a briefing to go with it. It's literally just numbers. And Nintendo did put out a statement, which is what led their stock to drop, saying, hey, we did factor a lot of Pokemon Go success and our revenue cut of it into our financial projection, so don't expect anything crazy. And these numbers are actually pre-Go. These numbers are in reference to April to the end of June. So we're probably going to find out how Star Fox did, probably going to find out how Robot, uh, Planet Robobot did on a global level. 
there's not going to be much else. We're going to see the Wii U probably was flat. We're going to see the 3DS probably is down. Maybe Wii U's down too. And that that's about it, I'm guessing. But that same episode that we'll be talking about all that, which is in a week and a half, um, is also going to be a pretty good one because we're going to have Monster Generations impressions. We're going to have our takes on Metroid Prime Blast Ball. And with you, Angel, going to Japan, perhaps... Perhaps you'll have some cool anecdotes, because you'll be back by the time the next episode. Maybe some anecdotes about, like, I don't know, what video games are like over there, or what Akahabra is like to visit, or whatever whatever cool things you see. Maybe. Yeah. Or maybe there won't be. Or maybe there won't be. The only way Who to knows? know, you guys, is to tune in. So, to wrap up this episode, um, in a nutshell, look for those things next time. Comic-Con was awesome. If you ever have a chance to go to Comic-Con, it, listeners, you should go to Comic-Con. Like, it's cool. And uh, to make sure you don't miss our next episode, you can subscribe to us on your podcasting app of choice. You can follow us on Twitter at Ram Nintendo, which I recommend you do so you don't miss our upcoming Comic-Con photo gallery where we will show you just how cool Comic-Con actually is. Uh, we're going to pictures of all sorts of stuff, Nintendo stuff, non-Nintendo stuff, a giant Conan head that towered over the entire show floor, and more. So... Mm-hmm. Look out for that gallery. And we will be back with our next episode with the Monster Hunter and Metroid and Japan and financials um, on Sunday, August August 7th. We'll be back on our usual schedule. This was the one-off weird one. So we'll see you guys then. In the meantime, if you're curious about Jose's, sorry, Angel's trip to Japan, you can follow him on Twitter. I don't know if he's going to use it, but you can follow him if you want. He's Wero. Well, then don't follow him, but Mm -hmm. he's Wero, W-E-R-R-O underscore maybe I will. I don't know. See, again, you have to follow him to find out. You can follow me at JSR7 on Twitter. So now for the real final send-off, we will see you guys Sunday, August 7th, assuming that Angel doesn't just, like, live there forever, never to be seen again by us. Destiny.